right. We're live, gentlemen. What's up? Hey, now. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bigger, Stronger, Faster was, uh, it was a documentary that I could not... Um, there were so many people that were talking about it. You couldn't avoid like having a conversation about it, especially like in the UFC, because so many fighters have been accused of taking performance-enhancing drugs, and there's so many conversations about that. So uh, I always wanted to talk to you guys, and I watched it again. I watched, I watched like the first half of it when it first came out, and I watched it all again this morning to check it out. Just did, to, did, you, did it bore you the first time, or why didn't you watch it all the way through? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I think it was on a plane. And I think the the plane probably landed, and I shut my laptop, mm-hmm. and I never picked it up again. It was Just one of those things. It. Yeah. And what did you think of it? It's great. Great documentary. And interesting and honest. It was really hilarious is when you're going over the uh, people that, like, what's the number one reason to go to the hospital? And then they like, <laughs> right, right. aspirin, yeah. fucking vitamin C, and then below that was steroids. And then yeah, steroids was way down, I think. The right. amount of deaths. It's yeah. like steroid deaths are, like, slightly above water, drinking <laughs> water. Right. Yeah, there's no, there's no real proof to link, to link anything uh, scientifically. You know, you can have a... Uh, anecdotal evidence on a lot of things but nothing scientifically links steroids to these deaths this is a real problem with some people they don't want to hear that and they d- they don't want to hear it because they don't there's like a there's a narrative that we're being taught in this country or that we're we're being told to to embrace that narrative is steroids are for cheaters and cheaters are losers and losers aren't american but as you highlighted in your movie over and over and over again all these examples of different athletes that were caught with performance-enhancing drugs. Whether it's the guy from the Tour de France, whether it was Carl Lewis. The Carl Lewis thing was fucking hilarious. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't know, when Ben Johnson got tested positive for steroids, they stripped him of his medal. Carl right. Lewis tested positive for amphetamines. Yeah, he wasn't even <laughs> supposed to run. So yeah, that's, you know. the whole thing's crazy. I mean, they're all doped up. But like you said about the, the narrative that they want you to believe, uh, the narrative doesn't come from health problems. The narrative right. comes from, you know, nobody's concerned about the health of the athlete. We say that. Uh, but nobody really is concerned about the health of the athlete. They're concerned about an unfair advantage. Yeah, they're concerned about someone being able to do what we suspected the Russians were doing back in the 50s. And that was really enlightening, too, when you were talking to that guy that was saying that they had, they had found out about it from the Russians doing it right. in the 1950s. And from then on, they were doping. Yeah, over shots of vodka. They were actually hanging out with the uh, Russian strength coach. And uh, he was you know a little loose, loosey-goosey. And uh, he sort of slipped up and was like, yeah, we're giving our guys testosterone. So as soon as that got out of the bag, Dr. Ziegler raced home and he created Dianabol, which was even a stronger steroid than was uh, currently available on the market. And they started testing guys with like five milligrams of Dianabol. And of course, they found other ways to get it through the testing facility or however they they were getting their hands on it uh, once it was manufactured. And that's when it became, you know, the Wild West basically was like people started taking 20 milligrams and getting way stronger and it's kind of crazy because if you you know if you want to get better at something, people don't have a problem with people using certain means, or people don't have a problem with someone going to a supplement store and purchasing something that doesn't work. But yeah. as soon as you take something that's powerful, people are like, "Well, wait a second, we don't want you doing that good." I was always telling people <laughs> that the strongest shit I ever took, they made illegal, but you used to be able to buy it at GNC. It was called Mag Ten. Do you remember that stuff? Oh yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Oh my God. 
that stuff, I took that shit for like whatever it was, like six weeks. I gained like 10 pounds. I was jacked up all the time. It was like a bunch of pills. You had to take like <laughs> 10 pills. And after it was over, my dick died like it got hit with a <laughs> meteor. My dick was useless. Yeah. It was useless well, for like weeks. Is, it took me for my testosterone to come back. Yes. I was like, oh, this is steroids. Like real steroids. Yeah. You could buy a GNC and until those, they made it illegal. Those drugs are more dangerous than the actual real testosterone. Yeah, bloat like you and all kinds of stuff too. Yeah. I don't well, know sides. what the fuck was in it either. I just bought it because it was legal. Yeah, probably a lot of a salt. Lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of sodium. Salt. A lot of those pills, uh, what they do is they'll, they'll give you uh, a huge surge of estrogen as well. Yeah, bad so, for the did tits. Did your tits grow too? No, they didn't. I got lucky. <laughs> I, but, you know, that's what um, one of the uh, guys was on the U.S. powerlifting team with uh, Bruce Jenner thinks happened to Jenner. He he believes that well first of all he said he knows that they had Jenner pumped full of steroids. Sure. He said we were all on steroids. He goes Jenner was absolutely pumped full of steroids, and he said that is what started his like transition to want to be. Is this where I'm heading? Well, maybe if you drop off a little bit, just stay on, dude. Yeah. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's that's interesting. But Mark and I had this talk the other day, and I think that um, this whole like gender issue and, and transgender and all these uh, different things like I don't know how much that's linked to testosterone levels or not like I don't know the, if there's that many definitive studies on like whether your testosterone like if you have a high estrogen level yeah, just someone because someone are you gay train they don't have testosterone levels yeah there's high. a lot of people that are gay that have very high testosterone levels and a lot but, of people can kick ass too they're they're you know? gay but yeah. but those are gay they're not they don't identify as female that's right. a, there is a difference yeah, there. Right. Yeah, right. I, I don't right. know Correct. how that actually correlates. I haven't read the studies on that stuff, but I think it's probably as difficult for us to understand as to understand what it's like to be a woman. It's like mm -hmm. it's like you don't get it. You don't you yeah. get it. Like like they probably don't get what it's like to not want to be a woman. <laughs> right. you know? You're like, eh, I'm good. You're like, are you sure you don't want to be a woman? Like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. You're like, well, for actually, me, it's uh, everything. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck. <laughs> in the powerlifting world, uh, in the you know the world of powerlifting, it's been sort of turned on its ear. By a guy named uh, Matt Croc, is that his name? Yeah, Krokoletsky. Uh Marks uh, can tell you a little bit more about him, but uh, he's... I've been friends with him for about a decade. Um, I've known about his uh, issue for about six or seven years now, and he's actually going to be on my show uh, coming up uh, soon. But you know, he's uh, transgender, and he's you know, it's ruined uh, relationships for him many times over. He's got three kids. He's a good father. He's he's a good person. He's a good dude. Or female it's a good woman <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, a, he's a good woman um but uh you know the issue is is really interesting and that's why i want to like you know talk to him and uh try to help people just better understand it because people get so mad that's the yeah. thing that i don't get is is uh i i do understand voicing your opinion and saying fuck man that's weird like that makes sense to me but people actually getting mad and having uh committing hate crimes and stuff to me is just disgusting i don't i don't i'm not on board with that yeah it is disgusting and i just i gotta think that it comes from their family from the way they're raised right. that their parents are ignorant it's the only thing that makes any sense right i just think that we're moving past that i think there's there's more awareness and more acceptance for those sort of issues that people have than yeah, this ever country before. worries about some fucked up shit there's a lot <laughs> worse things going on what about, the on? Lion? What about yeah. cecil yeah, yeah. Every, every, you're on steroids <laughs> Who cares? Every day, every day, a cop, every day, another cop shooting somebody, and we're worried about. You know, that yeah. we concern ourselves so much more with the tabloid uh, media than we do with the with what's really going on in this country. Well, the cop shooting part, you know, is a horrible thing. But cops on steroids is something that people don't talk about too much. Uh, it's kind of hilarious when you see cops busting people for steroids because we all know anybody who knows people that take yeah. steroids knows that cops are on steroids. Absolutely, a giant chunk of them, and cops, you talk uh, to them. 
busted our brother with steroids. And they were probably on it when they were busting them. Well, no, they, 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 took it, they confiscated it. They confiscated it, <laughs> and, and they never and then found every it again. Cop, every <laughs> cop in Poughkeepsie, where we're from, got huge. You know, he, they, they had like a, they took like a thousand uh, pills of Dianabol from them, and next thing you know, the cops are walking around all jacked. <laughs> of jacked. Well, they had. A, I had talked to a guy who's a cop I used to work out with, and he had a rational explanation. He's like, "Look, man," he goes, "It's fucking gross out there." He goes, "It's dangerous as fuck, and you got to be on top." Of your game and you want to have an edge right. meanwhile dude was 570 weight 250 i'm like you got a couple of edges <laughs> yeah you got, you got edges all over your body dude it's just so fucking jacked that's you great know? how do you even move like that <laughs> not very well yeah well all someone would have to do is get a hold of him and hang on <laughs> right. all you got to do with a guy like that is ride the bull He's well got i think a lot of people uh, in him. look if you taught those guys what you know in jujitsu They'd be much more effective than uh, taking steroids, but that's probably the easier route, right? That would help, but the real the reality is you're dealing with guns and knives yeah. and shit like that. Yeah, and so you, no matter how big yeah. you are, it doesn't even really matter, right? No. Well, you definitely should know how to defend yourself physically, yeah. 100%. Every cop should be a black belt in something. You should know what it's like to be in a wild melee with another person who's trying to kill yeah. you with their hands. But that's it's not going to protect you from guns and knives and all that mm -hmm. gun defense stuff. Like that's that's an art in and of itself. Like you know, there's some guys who are experts in taking guns away from people and shit. But good luck with all that. What do you that. think uh, the major difference is between like UFC and Pride? Like Pride, I don't think they really had rules. Right? They, did, they definitely had rules because oh, they, they had no elbows, and that was no. A I big just meant issues. I meant testing wise. Oh, testing wise, yeah. No, they didn't have rules at all. In fact, they uh, specifically said on their contracts that there was no no testing for steroids. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ensign Inouye, who's one of the fighters from Pride, great guy, fought in the UFC as well. He um, he did this whole thing about it, where he, he came on the podcast and explained like ver the verbatim contract. It said, Shit. "We are not going to test you for steroids." Yeah, meaning like, go ahead and That's do right. your thing. Yeah, well, they encouraged it. I had yeah. a buddy of mine who was he would fight in America at 170, and they wanted him to fight in Japan. He went over there and had some meetings. Like, you 185. And he's like, but I don't weigh 185. I like weigh 180 right now. And he's like, no, the steroids again with 185. <laughs> like they were like really sold on him being 185. Yeah. They wanted big Americans. They wanted right. everyone to look like Mark Kerr. Remember Mark yeah. Kerr? Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah, the Smashing Dude. Machine. That's Smashing Machine as a documentary filmmaker. That was my favorite documentary. I think sick. it still is. It's probably ever. It's know? an amazing documentary. And for folks who don't know what it's about, it's about Mark Kerr, who was at the time one of the most dangerous MMA fighters in the world, like a guy who you, you would look at and you'd say, well, that is what an MMA fighter should look like. Right. 260 pounds, fucking jacked to the tits, just giant and smashing people. But they caught him. There he is right there at his prime. What a fucking Damn, gorilla. Oh, shit, man. Yeah, that's a good picture. They caught him right when he slid. They caught, they literally caught him right. on top before he slipped and then went into this mad fucking painkiller slide. Absolutely. It happens to everybody. I mean, that's what happened in uh, the world of pro wrestling, which we're like really closely associated with um, all these guys. You know, you hear about the wrestlers dying mm -hmm. and everything. Yeah. It's not necessarily the steroids. It's a deadly cocktail that they're all doing. You know, it's steroids are a big part of it. But that's the steroids. Uh, it's tiny in comparison to yeah. the head injuries. It is important taken. to point out that, that they're not safe. You know, like I think sometimes people that take them are like, "Fuck yeah, man, take yeah. steroids." Uh, they they definitely have their their drawbacks, and they're definitely it's a drug, and it's an illegal drug. You know, so and that always needs to be pointed out. Dependent upon dosage, well, right? You know, there's people that are going to take a little bit and be fine, mm -hmm. or there's people that are going to go off the rails. And like there was a dude that we knew that was uh, Vitor Belfort's trainer in the '90s, and he died really young. He died like 32 or 33. 
three. Yeah. We used to call him garden hoses. Yeah. Because he would work out, he would be purple, and his fucking arms, oh, his Cur- veins. Cur- yeah. yeah, Curtis left them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Big purple. We yeah, yeah, they called call him Barney. Big purple. They called him Barney <laughs> at the gym. They'd call him Barney because he was so purple. He was he, on so much Nicest shit, guy. The greatest you know? guy. Really great guy. And, um... And Vitor at the time was jacked. jacked. He, he was training at Gold's Venice. He almost you know? got too jacked. Remember, he came in and smoked everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he got like kind of too big. big. He, he got jacked. Too big. When he fought Randy, he was too big. Yeah. He was like 240 when he yeah. fought Randy. And he had no gas tank. He was, right. he was a specimen when he was younger, Ooh. when he was 19. Yeah, well, when he was 200 pounds, he was like the perfect size. Because yeah. Vitor has like a size 8 foot. He's not a big guy. Like his hands are fairly small too, but he's just a spectacular athlete. Yeah, it's you amazing know? he's done it for so long. It's unbelievable. I know it is, and it's it's a really it's he's an interesting point because Vitor for the last year and a half was on testosterone replacement, last like two years, and had the most spectacular results of his career. It was really crazy to see a guy who had been fighting since 1997 in the UFC, and he's knocking out Michael Bisping, he's knocking out Luke Rockhold, he's knocking out Dan Henderson, he's wheel-kicking people in the head, and the, the <laughs> yeah. way he was doing it was just fucking crazy to watch. He head-kicked three of the best fighters in the world yeah. and did it with muscles grown out of his fucking teeth. I mean, just <laughs> Was jacked. that legal in the UFC? It was legal. It's it was a legal. therapeutic uh, use? Then. Yeah. yeah, but now but it's Nevada not. came in and went, whoa, hold the fuck up. What's yeah. going on here? First of all, they had guys, there were guys that were in their 20s that had been prescribed it. That for mm, yeah. yeah, and they're like, well, what happened? How, why do you have a low test? And most of them, it's because of steroid use. Yeah. And you, we, we all know that there's a right. way of manipulating those tests, too. Right. And maybe, maybe some yeah. are overtrained, not sleeping well on top of... 100%. And, and if you don't think those tests get manipulated about uh, like what you need to do in bigger, stronger, faster, I show you how to get human growth hormone and basically, you know, go to your doctor and do this and that. And the, the way that you take the test... Um, was you had to like pee in this bag basically all mm-hmm. day long, and then you take a sample of that urine. Uh, but you know the way that I did it was I only I only um, took the urine from like two samples that were taken at night when your growth hormone is the lowest. So my growth hormone looked like it came from a guy who's 125 years old. They're like, oh my god, you have no growth hormone. Well, if you took it in the morning, it would and and balance it out with during the day, it would have been. You normal. Know, it would have been normal, yeah. but it was really low. So I, I just wanted the doctor to give me growth hormone to see if they would do it for the movie. Right. Well, they also they say if you eat a very large fatty meal, like cheeseburgers and fries and shit, like a big burger, like right before you take the test, like within an hour of the test, your shit just plummets. Yeah. Your test plummets. Your growth plummets. Everything just goes. Oh. Well, there's there's ways to beat all these tests. Even yeah. even the guys that are beating the test. Uh, to compete, mm-hmm. Lance Armstrong, all these guys. The Armstrong Lie is a good documentary too. Like, yeah, I don't amazing. Know if you saw that. It was fucking incredible. Amazing. Well, Jeff Mavitsky, the guy who busted Lance Armstrong, is going to be on my podcast next week. Oh, cool. I fucking can't oh, wait. Awesome. Sorry, I had a great conversation. He, the UFC hired him to try to clean up the sport. I don't know. Well, that's like going to a hoarder's house. Well, mm-hmm. you need to so hire the I other guy. Be able to, to eat off this floor. Yeah, yeah. At, at you this need to point, hire uh, the Ferrari guy, the guy that was uh, Lance Armstrong's coach. Oh, the you guy. Who, <laughs> yeah, because that was the guy was trying to, to beat everybody. No matter yeah. what you do, um, the cheaters will always be ahead. Right. right. Of the guys that are trying to catch them. It's just a cat and mouse game. It's been going on forever. Yeah, well, they're kind of ahead now. What they're doing now is they're, you know, the way they make testosterone, apparently they do something with yams. That's how they mm-hmm. make it. Do you know the yeah, process? Yeah, Mex- Mexican wild yams. Yeah. 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 Well, now they don't do they that anymore. That's where it's like derived from or something. Yeah. yeah, well, now they figured out how to do it with 
animals, and they've made a bio-identical testosterone that you can't differentiate. Yeah, there you go. Wow. So, we, we just spoke about uh, stem cells. Now, stem cells aren't going to yeah. make you superhuman, but stem cells are going to allow you uh, a Vitor Belfort, right? Now, now that he can't do the testosterone replacement, he gets stem cells done uh, to all of his existing injuries. You know, he's he's basically you know got a clean slate and he's and he's back to normal without yeah, all where these injuries. Where do you draw the line? I guess that you built over time. You know, a baseball pitcher could pitch ten more years. How how is right. how is that going to affect the future of sports with the records and all these things? Like, who can hit the most home runs and who can you know play the longest and all? You know? Yeah, it's like there's a word that's a banned word. Steroids is like. You know, it's like it's a it's a negative word, and right. that yeah. word will never be polished up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the Barry Bonds shit with Mark McGuire all over Congress. Right. By the way, that was one of my favorite parts of the documentary was watching those dummies in Congress. <laughs> that was amazing. Well, wasn't it? Seeing Joe Biden talk about it. when I was a good athlete, yeah. I thought the fuck you were, <laughs> the fuck you were good yeah. at anything. Yeah, You're exactly. not a, you were never a good athlete. I would like those to see some bastards. evidence of that, sir. They took it away from me. It wasn't by God. Given talent, like what? <laughs> He's a third, fucking... third string baseball player, like you know, community <laughs> right. college. Yeah, you know? whatever he was, save it, buddy. Whatever he was, <laughs> just shut your mouth. Yeah, exactly. That and that, that's the thing was like they bring up uh, these baseball players and string them up before Congress. Yeah, it becomes this like huge media circus. Everybody, you know, loves to see that. Oh, look at their, you know, they're pointing out all these guys and they're the bad guys. And you have guys like Mark McGuire up there looking like. Mark McGuire said steroids is bad. It's yeah. a bad message. Don't do them. It's like this is people. These are, these are these heroes to these kids up there that are you know completely looking like like idiots. And there's yeah. a better way to handle it. You know. Well, it just seemed really frivolous that they were in front of Congress for they they're getting too good at hitting the ball with the stick. <laughs> we need to bring in all our leaders. Right. Like, right. What the fuck? Yeah. Same. Yeah. It doesn't even seem yeah. real. It seems well, like a, in, a plot in a movie. Even in swimming, they uh, made suits a few years ago. They got rid of them right away it's a speedo company made a suit that makes you swim faster and as soon as they did that they were like whoa whoa whoa! we don't want you swimming that fast so they got rid of them so it was like a body suit like it's you just put a, it in yeah. your whole body yeah it's a body suit so like a wetsuit yeah well just a, like a light I, I think looking. i think it uh helped increase like buoyancy a little bit and oh. uh, just helped you kind of glide through the uh pool faster that's pretty dope where i get one of those yeah, yeah. well i guess <laughs> the, speedo. the issue with it was uh it's expensive and so they were like oh it might price some people out of it or whatever i was just like i don't know, even understand what that means yeah because all these sports end up being pretty expensive come on man the amount of money that's involved in training for the olympics for swimming <laughs> the things that are crazy, going on now right? with, with training are insane you know i did my second film did a movie called trophy kids and it's about parents that pushed their kids in sports and that was on hbo and the the thing that is so crazy now is the way that parents have access to all these things we didn't have like you'll go to a you know a, a baseball camp and they have like this Nike makes this hand eye coordination thing that you wouldn't believe how it tells you like what position your kid should play it tells you you know and and parents are actually going and getting genetic testing on their kid they swab the inside of their kids uh, cheek and they send it off to this company and it'll, it'll tell the parent what sports the kid will be good at this is when they're like a, an infant you know, so there's some crazy stuff going on where, where uh, you know, technology is far exceeding like you know what we've been able to do before. That's fucking madness. It's wild. Swabbing shit. your kid's cheek, <laughs> yeah, to find out what sport they should do. Well, there's a there's a um, California cryobank. It's like a, a sperm bank, 
and it's uh, at UCLA. Don't get that and confused with getting frozen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Hey, well, this walked into the um, I'm, what's Jerk off in this cup. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? Is so this part of the therapy? <laughs> right. I have arthritis. Wow, I feel great. Joe, that Joe Rogan was fucking right. Yeah. <laughs> Shit tastes great. Uh, anyway, you can get... Um, it actually shows a guy on HBO Real Sports. He goes in and basically, like, they custom order their kid. And it's like this fat... <laughs> what the hell? It's like this fat uh, Mexican guy. He goes in and he says, I want a kid just like me. Blue eyes, blonde hair, and big calves. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> he looks nothing like the guy. <laughs> so it's not his sperm. He's no, using no, someone yeah, else's sperm. He's using a sperm donor because he, he couldn't get his wife pregnant. Right. And so... they decide, well, we want our kid to be... Uh, the father's a like, Viking. you know, similar, similar, to, you know, similar to me, you know, like right. athletic and, and outgoing. And, you know, so they picked a 6'2", blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid with, uh, and it actually says on the application, huge calves. <sighs> huge calves on the application. <laughs> what the fuck? They, they, so the, the California Cryobank goes out and they recruit players. Uh, I went to USC, so I know, like, it goes on at USC. They go out and recruit players. Um to make extra money, you can make you know nine hundred bucks a month or something, jerking off in a cup, and basically selling it to yeah, parents. Man. Wow, <laughs> it's hmm. a good deal. I mean, yeah, it's not a bad deal if you have to rent. <laughs> you know, you got to pay it somehow. My yeah. sperm might be tainted. Probably. <laughs> yeah, they don't need to know that. No, <laughs> no, but it's it's amazing. It's an amazing phenomenon to see parents now getting into like, how am I going to help my kid cheat? You know? Well, it's getting to the point also where they're within a few years. Have you heard of CRISPR? Do you know what CRISPR is? No. There's a Radio Lab documentary that they did on it. It's uh, or a Radio Lab episode rather. It's all about um, this new tool that they have for engineering genetics and for splicing genes and for adding traits or subtracting traits. Sure. And, you know, you, you showed on the documentary the myostatin inhibitors mm -hmm. that they're doing with these cows that make these cows grow enormous amounts of muscle. Well, they're going, they, first of all, they could do it now to pigs, and they're going to be able to do it to people. It's just a matter of when. Jesus is, is it going to be in a year? Is it going to be in a decade? It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. it's, if, it, if we live another 100 years, if human beings survive 100 years, and the asteroids don't blow us up or we don't get hit by a fucking nuke, we're going to have myostatin-inhibited people oh, sure. that look like the Hulk. That's fucking craziness. It's going to be nuts, and they're going to live longer. That's what's even more fucked up. What when do you think about uh, mice, steroids they... in the UFC? Like, What's your take on it? Like, Do you think they should be illegal or monitored? Or well, I think, think it's going to be a moot point once you get to genetic engineering. And I think ultimately what steroids are is it's a form of engineering. It's a form of biological engineering. Right. You're taking these substances and you're adding them to people. But... As you pointed out in your in your documentary, look at the guy who was the uh, the the Tour de France guy that had this oxygen tent, these hyperbaric uh, or these um, uh, chamber. altitude chambers, yeah, chambers, hyperbaric chambers. What I do all the time, the cryogenic uh, freeze tanks, all that shit is cheating. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to look at it, I take TRT, I take human growth hormone. If I was competing in a, somewhere that wouldn't let me take that, that would be considered cheating. But for life, like. I'm like, look, if you're 48 years old and you're not taking testosterone, what do you, you hate life? You, just, <laughs> right, yeah. you, you hate having energy? Sort of right. throwing it away. You like, it's like, you like your immune system sucking? Yeah, you want to feel better, look yeah. better. Yeah. Your body works better. It's, it's all that about simple. optimizing what you already are. And I think when people go beyond that, that's when it becomes into like, okay, well, then it's cheating. I don't know why people think that, but that's what it is. It's like, you know, if you say, well, I'm on TRT, nobody really cares, you know? And the same commercials for TRT, I don't know if you noticed, but during the World Series, the, the same sport that they condemn for steroids, during the commercial break, the first commercial, do you have low T? Yeah. You know, that's exactly. the very first commercial that comes It's hilarious. Out. 
I think that the issue with steroids also for a lot of people is they believe that it's going to get kids into them and that the kids are going to get sick or they're going to get hurt or they're going to commit suicide like the guy in the documentary sure. had. He was convinced that his kid who he had on Lexapro, who was a teenager, you know what I mean? He was convinced that it was steroids that made right. this kid commit suicide. And steroids very well may have played a factor. Abuse of anything is bad, sure. whether it's abuse of alcohol. There's a, a lot of different drugs, painkillers that you can abuse that will make you suicidal. Abuse of anything sure. is bad. So to blame it on one thing, that guy had this blanket thought in his mind. He's just going to throw a blanket over the problem, the, the problem with steroids. I don't even think you can blame it on the Lexapro. There's a deeper issue going on with the, with the child that yeah. takes his own life. He, had, he certainly had some issues, and he also didn't want to communicate with his parents these issues too much. And the, the There's a lot more going on with that story than I put in the movie, and that was to protect... Uh, you know, like I, it's like kids, some, somebody's gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah somebody gone, loses yeah. a child. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to go into uh, their family history and all these other things that we right. found out. Um, but yeah, it's definitely well, hard. Good for you for doing that. That's a, a and, noble and thing. And they gave they gave his father a million dollars to go in front to to continue this uh, education to continue. Uh, lying to people basically well that makes sense because that's why he had this thought in his head like he wouldn't even consider the fact that he's his kids on psychoactive drugs and he what those had nothing to do with the fact that his brain was fucked up sure like come on man yeah, I, the you, others, you don't know you don't know those, those drugs are are dangerous to anybody there's a hundred million people walking around on psych meds and yeah you know they, there's really no proof that they actually work there's really no scientific proof that they improve any sort of uh, problem. But is that true though? Because they definitely do help some people. I think I mean, they definitely help some people, but there's actually nothing, there's no, you know, if you look at, you can look at, uh, like I said, anecdotal evidence for anything. I took this and I got bigger, I took right. this and I got stronger. Um, scientific proof, no, because there's no real markers in the brain. There's no test I can give you to see if you feel better. Right, you know? there's no depression test. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, th I think, yeah, that's the issue. The, so, But there is, there's a lot of evidence that SSRIs help improve mood, right? And they do. Yeah, yeah, but there's also, uh, you know, while they improve mood in some people, a lot of people commit suicide on them mm -hmm. because they are so low down. Like, you'll see a person that's, like, severely, severely depressed. They can't even get out of bed to kill themselves. And then they put them on SSRIs, and now they have just enough energy to, like, say, fuck it, you know? And that's <laughs> Jesus, what's just, Jesus yeah. Christ. That's so crazy. Also, with uh, steroids, though, when, um, you know, that kid, he just stopped cold turkey. You know, he stopped the steroids right away and then uh, went on those other drugs. But stopping him, as you mentioned earlier, like if you're 48 years old, you want to get the energy boost from him. Just like uh, coming off him actually uh, puts you at a lower state than you ever were before. So with that kid coming off him, his uh, testosterone levels were probably low. His estrogen levels probably came up. He's probably just insanely depressed. And that does get you depressed. And that's a big issue with fighters and football players and people that have had a lot of head injuries. Uh, Dr. Mark Gordon, uh, who was in your yep. documentary for a brief amount of time, I saw his face in there. He works with a lot of traumatic brain injury people, and one of the things that he finds with them, they almost all have low testosterone. Sure. Right. And something about getting the pituitary gland, gland rattled, whether it's through an IED or football collisions or head kicks, whatever the fuck it is, almost all those guys have low testosterone. They're just like super. It's almost like you're getting kicked in the balls. You ever, you ever pose a question <laughs> to this, like you know, athlete, uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission? You know, the uh, all these guys are getting pounded in the head in the UFC. They get mm -hmm. they get punched a lot. They get kicked a lot. Um, head head trauma is a on the job injury. But you're not allowed to treat an on-the-job injury with something that works like human growth hormone. Like you'll talk to Mark Gordon, he'll tell you like one of the best things they can do to treat these concussions and traumatic brain injuries 
is to supplement with human growth hormone. So you can't treat those injuries. You can get them, and if you're a normal everyday person, you can be treated, but you can't be treated if you're a fighter or if you're yeah. an athlete. You know. And if there's a thing with fighters <clears throat> as well now. They're not allowing them to use IVs to rehydrate. Oh, and yeah. the reason why is because IVs and use of IVs can mask some of the signs of uh -huh. steroids. So something that was ultimately very beneficial now you can't use because people can use it to cheat. So even though it's just to rehydrate you, sure. and even though they can prove that it's just rehydrating you, they, you can't use it because it could be something that you're doing because you're trying it's to cover actually up. probably healthier for the fighter like a day before to have all those electrolytes in them and everything in them right i mean rather well, than fight yeah fight since, depleted since right? they're cutting weight yeah that's the yeah. argument but there's some arguments some people i don't know that i haven't researched it but there's some people that say that it's actually more effective to rehydrate orally i've heard that's bullshit i've heard that's true i don't know what's right i'd have to talk to an expert about that so do a Google. Like, it's hard. It's hard to be. Uh, it's hard to be way on top of all that though. Like when you're um, these these fighters, they travel. You know, in powerlifting, mm -hmm. we do the same thing. We use IV bags to, to rehydrate, and guys will do thirty pound weight cuts and stuff like that. So you do thirty pound weight cuts so that you compete at a, a lower level to powerlift. Yeah, lighter weight class. Yeah. At least you're not getting hit in the head though. The problem, right, right, right. The rehydration orally, if it's not effective, is if you if you fight in a dehydrated state yeah. and you get rattled. Your brain bleeds. Right. They say that almost all the deaths in pro boxing, almost all of them, were in the lighter weight divisions. Wow. Even though the heavyweights hit hardest, they didn't cut weight. So yeah. they didn't have all the, the same problems. Right. Is there any rules in UFC about cutting weight? How much percentage no, you can cut? No, there should be. Mm. If you can make the weight, you can fight. You right. just have to make the weight 4 o'clock on Friday, and then Saturday, you know, whenever your fight is, the fights don't start till 4. Do you think so this IV thing will change the game? I, I hope it does. I, I also think the UFC probably is going to have to add more weight classes eventually because mm. there's not enough weight classes. There's some big gaps between, like, 185 and 205. That's a 20-pound weight class. That's a giant gap. Yeah. You know, I think that for fighters that are like tweeners you know there's guys that are like a little bit too big for this mm -hmm. weight but a little bit too small for that weight they could use a 195 i think every 10 pounds would be seems like reasonable. it'd be an advantage to actual you know to the fans and everything to be mm -hmm. more, more more champions more championship fights more, more and then also there's there could be some reasonable like uh champion versus champion like 195 versus 205 is pretty right. reasonable whereas like 185 versus 205 like man it's a big fucking jump for yeah, those guys absolutely yeah i think uh to answer your question about steroids in in the ufc i think the, we have to kind of define i think the real problem is what we said earlier that the word steroid is it, it's like dirty. tainted it's a yeah. dirty word but if it's far as like supplements or should supplements be legal right kind of everybody says supplements are legal fuck we have muscle farm that sponsors the ufc sure. they sell a ton of shit that's supposed to help you recover and protein powders right. and all this jazz yeah think about creatine pr pr absolutely clinically proven to pr enhance performance right. there's a lot of stuff that you can get that's legal even caffeine yeah absolutely. it's all it's all stuff that gives you like a very slight bump a very mm -hmm. slight edge and then taken all together synergistically like it will supplement like you know it says your diet so if you have a you know a diet where you're not getting enough stuff in it like i was just reading this i posted some on facebook the other day and people went crazy because i posted this thing about fish oil and the effectiveness of fish oil not being really scientifically uh, proven, you know, it's like if you eat fish at you know twice a week, then you don't need it, you know. And everybody goes crazy. No, I need it. People, people are convinced. Mm. You know, the supplement industry is a twenty-four. No, I billion need to burp dollar... up fish oil. I'm convinced of that. <laughs> I need to have twenty pills it, a day. It's, it's a twenty-four billion dollar industry, and people are convinced 
uh, that they need these things. You know, there that, is some science behind fish oil and krill oil, though, especially the, the anti-inflammatory process. The anti-inflammatory at, at a high dose. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. what I do. I take a lot of fish oil. So it makes now. sense for that. It, it, for if you're trying to like prevent, you know, heart disease and all these things like that, they're saying that you know there's really isn't, the link isn't there. And if you eat fatty fish, mm -hmm. you know, you probably get enough in your in your diet. Yeah. Well, really good fish like salmon that's high in those healthy fats. Yeah. That should, yeah, everybody should eat that like once or twice a week. Have it's some really fucking good for you. sushi. Yeah. I mean, I believe I you know I'll read I'll read all this shit about supplements, right? All this stuff I'll mm. read like okay this doesn't work and this barely works and whatever. And the next thing I do I go open up my cabinet and I take twenty pills because <laughs> like because it doesn't fucking work. I don't know. I mean, it's like that placebo effect is really really strong and you know certain things I take because I oh I heard this works for you know alpha lipoic acid when you eat carbs it'll help shuttle it in your muscles well do I know that that even works like I don't know I alpha lipoic acid supposed to be clinically proven isn't it I think there's studies on alpha lipoic acid yeah I'm sure there's, well, there's it, studies on everything it, it, yeah. then you get into like the whole thing it, it's oh it's an antioxidant and then you're like well wait a second what the fuck's an antioxidant why mm -hmm. do I need it? why do I need it you know like you, you forget even why you need it to a certain right. point right <laughs> well you, berries are like the best antioxidant aren't they right. like blueberries yeah, sure. and berries yeah. And then they find out there's studies that say that eating antioxidants in your diet doesn't really matter. Uh, it doesn't translate into antioxidants in the, the bloodstream and all this stuff like that. So you got to look at it like they say you need certain precursors to be able to digest these things. So it's too just, goddamn complicated. To be ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> it's too fucking complicated. <laughs> you need to be your own doctor. You know, you, need to you do, do your I, own research. I find uh, I get big benefits when I eat a lot of vegetables. I Absolutely. Feel, I feel a big benefit when I drink like these kale shakes. The, it's kale, oh, no. kale and salad. No, get no. the man a kale salad. <laughs> you do it? I thought you were tough. Dude, it's good stuff for you. It's healthy. <laughs> no, he just makes fun of kale all the time. I so. was making fun of one of my friends because he's like, he's like, I went over here and had a kale salad. And he's super skinny. I'm like, dude, a kale salad? Come on. Just make up a lie. Say that you had a fucking 20-ounce ribeye. Well, you can have both. I just right. think in general, right. that's the, the best amount, way to go. Like, you know, we need we need vitamins. Yeah. Kale we need salad. vitamins and, and minerals, <laughs> and we need uh, all these things in our diet. Yeah. And so vegetables are probably the most abundant source of great nutrients, vegetables and fruits and things like that. So, like, why wouldn't you eat them? Like, it seems all to make I know sense. Yeah. is I feel different when I eat them. When I have one of those kale shakes with giant clumps of fucking ginger in it, and four cloves of garlic, and an apple and celery, it's and amazing. Cucumber. You feel like you fucking Superman. It. You got to choke it down. It tastes like shit. But when you're choking it down, once once you get it in, you're like, whoo! You feel like <laughs> like you had a, like a double shot of espresso, but you don't you don't feel like jittery. You just right. feel like ah, fucking yeah. yeah. I remember talking to you about. Um, it was kind of amazing, and it was kind of a good example for me. Uh, talking to you about like you were talking about going on the road and traveling and you said oh man I need to ha find a whole foods I don't eat that processed shit and like to me that was like a real eye-opener to find that like somebody as busy as yourself goes out of their way to find like good healthy food it's and important. goes and yeah and, well, and it's probably more important almost for him because he's on a plane or in a car or some shit all the time getting yeah it's just you can only go so many I always bring um, vitamin packs I have those pure athlete packs I mm -hmm. bring with me to supplement when I'm on the road I always make sure I eat a lot of salads like I get salads before every meal whatever I'm eating I eat salads first but it's hard it's hard to find you know food that's not just full of garbage and contaminated bullshit. nowadays yeah yeah i mean like you go to subway i mean yeah you get bread and there's right. meat in there and it kind of can fill you up but like you know all the different preservatives and nonsense and processed bullshit fucking kills your stomach yeah it's just the, all the gluten oh it's just <laughs> chris's uh, girlfriend eats uh, tons of vegetables and she's she's uh, super hot so 
<laughs> must yeah. be working. There Maybe that's the formula. Yeah. We can all be super hot chicks. Yeah. Just yeah, tons yeah. of vegetables. <laughs> if Bruce Jenner had only known about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah the so kale salad. I think the, um, but the key, the, the key, like you said, is good nutrition. Yeah. Good, solid, like things in your in your diet you i know? think when you're dealing with things like ufc fighters you're dealing with a level of performance that they're requiring of their body that's so extreme because yeah. the, even boxers like the average boxer they do their boxing workout they'll spar a couple of times a week depending upon the philosophy of the camp and in the morning they usually run like maybe they'll have a strength and conditioning session instead right. of a run but they're doing two workouts a day and one of them is pretty mild it's not that big a deal so they're, you know, they can get through a six to eight week camp and most likely they never pull out of fights. It's right. very rare that a championship sure. fight, like Manny Pacquiao almost pulled out of the Floyd Mayweather fight because he apparently tore his labrum, but he wound up fighting. Now there's a lawsuit because right. he pushed through the injury. Oh, Jesus. You hear about all that? Like, no, I didn't like hear Five crazy. different people are suing him because they bet a lot of money on him. Oh, they didn't know that his right shoulder was fucked up. He had surgery right after the fight. Wow. But. You, for the UFC, fucking 20% of the fights fall apart, at least. Yeah. And guys fight injured all the time. Even Conor McGregor, when he fought against Chad Mendez after Aldo pulled out of the fight, McGregor had been getting stem cell shots in his knee. Yeah. He was fucked. Jeez. He was thinking he couldn't, he didn't wrestle the entire camp because he was thinking there's no way. He's like, I can't, it'll fall apart. It was a good fight. Great fight. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's got to be the toughest sport. I mean, I say that. I think so. People go like, oh, basketball players are the best athletes, or these guys are the best athletes. And I just think that, uh, the amount of uh, maybe genetically basketball, you know, but the amount of effort it takes to step into the octagon, the amount of mental focus, it's like, to me, that's amazing. It's like truly Bas baffled by it. Basketball, I think, has the best six foot six athletes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, fighting is not made up, it's something that is like part of us. Everything else is made up football, basketball, baseball made-up sports, you know? When it came sort along, of. we were like, this is the only sport to me that makes sense. You know, like, it really makes sense. It's like... But the movements in the art are all made up. Yeah, I mean, so you had to figure out what's the most effective way of striking and yeah, how do I fuck grappling. someone up the fastest? Yeah. I mean, all of that is the, where the sport lies, but I think you're right about the level of athlete. When you see the guys that play for the NFL, I mean, those are yeah. fucking super freaks. Yeah, well, those, well, those motherfuckers will be coming in the UFC soon, I'm sure. Well, if the money becomes right... Yeah. Well, that's John Jones. John Jones could have yep. probably opted to go and play in the NFL. 100%. 100%. His brothers both do. He <laughs> sure. could have. Yeah. What's crazy is he's not even the toughest one in his family. Both his brothers say they kick his ass. His younger brother <laughs> and his older brother. That's crazy. Fucked. What yeah, kind I saw of a fucking one, family is that? One of the guys got drafted. One of his brothers got drafted. I saw him. Uh, they're all jumping on each other and shit. They're all kicking the shit out of each other. I was like, Jesus Christ. A lot of shit must have got broken in that house. Oh, yeah. I think that's why it happened. And that's why he came out so badass and not afraid of anything. Talk about genetics. I mean, like yeah. that family, the Manning family like mm -hmm. there's these families are just incredible yeah genetics and that goes a long way oh 100 percent. and everything we're talking about you know matt hughes uh former ufc yeah, sure, yeah. champion his brother is a twin looks exactly like yeah. him their entire lives they beat the fuck out of each other <laughs> so of course he gets to the ufc with his fucking steely-eyed gaze he's used to facing himself literally yeah yeah like a mirror version of him beating the fuck out of him his whole life <laughs> <laughs> they're just smashing each other running through walls like juggernaut yeah you know the ultimate sparring partner yeah. That's why I used to pick people up and, and slam them. Yeah, there's uh, his brother's bigger. Wow, his brother's 265. Jesus Christ. His brother was talking all kinds of shit that he would uh, he would kick his brother's ass. Well, I think John Jones could probably uh, get up to that weight, right? I mean, he's probably fighting yeah. his whole life, so... Well, Chandler, I think, is a bigger guy. He's Does one he, inch taller. He has two brothers in the NFL, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Arthur, too. His brother Arthur's even bigger than Chandler. His brother Arthur's more than 300 pounds. Man. That's a super athlete family. His dad's a big dude, too. His dad is just naturally just very gifted.
it's it's taken a long time for the sport to evolve to where it is. Um, you know, like I'm I'm interested to see what will happen with the female division. You know, mm-hmm. like Ronda's just killing everybody, and she's obviously amazing. But I don't think the girls have caught up to where the guys are at. No, not yet. But have you seen uh, Yoanian and Jacek, the no. uh, strawweight champion? Dude, you think Ronda's impressive? This bitch is ruthless. <laughs> She's from Poland. She's what does she weigh? Six time, one fifteen. Six time world Muay Thai champion. We we did a, that was a fight companion one, right? We watched that girl get busted up. Jessica Penney. Oh my yeah, god, yeah. dude! Okay. It's the ugliest female fight I've ever seen in my life. This girl's <laughs> nose was smashed, a giant gash across her nose, and this this Joanna chick from Poland was just beating the fuck out of her, Jeez. literally to the point where you're watching like saying, "Please stop this fight." <laughs> like this this fight is a terrible mismatch. Like that that chick is lethal because like when Ronda beats chicks up, like she knocked out Betch with one punch, yeah. and most of the time she flips chicks on their back and arm bars them in the first round. This bitch beats the fuck out of chicks for like four rounds. That's got to be cool calling that stuff because I I saw your excitement and it was like so genuine. You know, you're so pumped. To call that fight, you oh, know, the and, Ronda fight, yeah, yeah you're oh, like yeah. pumped. You oh know? yeah, well, uh, yeah, those. You could feel it though when you watch it. It was a piece of history. I felt. I felt like. Uh, I feel like she, where she's at right now is just so strange and rare. It's like it's not just calling a fight. It's like I feel like I'm calling a piece of like yeah. human history. Yeah, modern, it's an event. modern yeah. day Mike Tyson. She, yeah, she's like a real Charlie's Angels character. Yeah, like there's never been like a hot chick that actually can fuck up a lot of dudes. Yeah, it's, it's like, always been fake in a movie. Okay, here's Wonder Woman. Ching ching. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, like fake. Someone was pounding on your door at like <laughs> two o'clock in the morning. You're like what the fuck? And you open up the door and it was Ronda Rousey <laughs> angry. You'd be like, oh shit, your heart would drop. You're like, this bitch is gonna beat my ass. Yeah, <laughs> right now. Yeah, like, was I far? in my sleep or something <laughs> <laughs> if she was outside she could you know and she break in your house she could kick your ass like that's real yeah, and her confidence is through the roof i yeah. just saw something today where she's like uh they can you beat floyd mayweather in a fight or whatever and she's like yeah in a no rules fight i could beat anybody well she said i'm not in a boxing match she's yeah. like he's a boxer i'm sure he would beat me in a boxing yeah. match yeah. but i don't have matches i have fights <laughs> right you know and she's just letting him know yeah she's she a badass man she got a hold of him he's going flying yeah that's for sure there's yeah. no way he's gonna be able to understand what she's doing no if he tied up with her he really he he'd have so much to think about i'm sure she trains with guys all the time right? 100 I mean, percent. i've yeah. seen her i've been there in the gym with her flipping guys and i've seen her tap guys i've yeah. seen it with my own eyes tap good guys yeah get them in arm bars there's a video of her with like luke oh rockhold. i wasn't trying <laughs> no they're fucking trying there's a video with her with luke rockhold and you know luke lets her get into a position but she finishes him you yeah. know luke rockhold's a fucking giant dude yeah, he's big yeah. he fights at 185 cuts a lot of weight to get he's down there. something he's, yeah. he's strong he's a stud and she finished him with an arm bar i'm like whoa it's not even embarrassing she's no. the fucking best She's pretty goddamn wicked, but what there's going to be more girls that, like what her. What about steroids in that division? With uh, that's the issue. You know, they talk about um, cyborg. cyborg. Yeah, you know, that's the you, know issue. You, you got guys like I know you talk about it a lot in your podcast. You, you get into um, steroids here and there, and um, you know a lot of guys don't even, they don't even look like they're doing it. Like Gilbert Melendez mm-hmm. or Hoist Gracie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you can't tell anymore. Well, Hoist actually did look like he was doing it when he got popped. Yeah. When he got popped, we were there for that fight, and I was there with my friend Eddie, Eddie Bravo, and yeah. Eddie was like, "Dude, when was the last time you saw Hoist with traps? Yeah. Like he had traps. Like he was pretty jacked, and yeah. he was way heavier than normal. He was like he usually is around one seventy something. He was well over two hundred pounds. But I think because the benefit of steroids isn't just with weightlifting. It's like overall, you know, overall recovery, overall." Uh, 
energy and and health. Yeah, that well, a the lot guys of are probably take taking it. a cocktail, probably a little growth hormone, mm-hmm. little test, little EPO. Yes, one hundred percent. I think the EPO is a big thing too. That, the vibrancy, just the, the having energy, just having enthusiasm, and, and they don't test for EPO, do they? Oh yes, they do. They yeah. do now. Ali Bagutinov got popped for it when he fought uh, against Mighty Mouse Johnson for the yeah. flyweight title, and he's still suspended because of wow. it. Yeah, there's but there's guys because I know the EPO it. test is pretty. It's uh, it's a little wishy washy when we did bigger, stronger, faster. We looked heavily into the EPO test, and there's a guy that came up with a definitive EPO test. Uh, definitive, like just either you're on it or you're not uh, synthetically. And um, the he got a letter from the Olympic Committee saying, from the U.S. Olympic USOC saying, uh, we can't use your test because we'll be out of unfair. Uh, you know, we'll be. It'll be unfair to the Americans because the other foreign countries are relying on a loosey goosey test. Yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. That's so crazy. all they're so what they they're saying is we're going to have to allow a certain amount of cheating to win. Exactly. That's really what they're saying. Well, we we have to be able to cheat just as much as the rest of them. If you look at the, uh, you know, when they do these testosterone ratios, like ninety nine point nine percent of human beings should be at a one to one ratio epi testosterone to testosterone kind of thing, and um, they allow it to be like four to one or six. They used to, to allow one. six. Six now to they one. allow four. Yeah, now they allow four, right? So you can take a little bit and be under the radar. We've had guys pop at like fifty to one yeah back <laughs> i remember when i was doing <laughs> that's awesome that's hilarious yeah. they're like gorillas they're i want to see humans. a non we were doing... i want to see a non-tested <clears throat> ufc and have the guys weigh like over 300 pounds <laughs> they go one minute on and five minutes off <laughs> yeah there you go and just well, let them just kill each other just, they... <laughs> just let like them the... just fucking slug it out i like the one and also on, you and also you off. can't you can't train that's the other thing you can't train for fighting because that's an unfair advantage too then you know uh, how to fight and it ruins the fun well the other person's training too so it's not unfair advantage well you can you can lift advantage. weights that's about it that's it just lifting <laughs> yeah. i think that uh there's there's a benefit to being a certain weight but there's a negative effect when you get over a certain weight. And I think 240 is around the right weight. I think uh, body weight, or body, um, uh, your, uh, how lean you are is mm-hmm. probably a big uh, big thing, too. I think once you get under 10%, I think, is when you start to get in trouble, unless you're used to that, unless your mm-hmm. body's always under 10%, then yeah, you could I, probably operate at that body, uh, at that being that lean for a while, you know? I just think if guys have good defensive skills and they can avoid the bum rush for the first couple rounds, guys who are, like, over 240, they have a real hard time getting into the third, fourth, and fifth yeah, rounds. Bet. It's just too much mass to carry around, the bones and the, the muscle and all the it blood. It hurts requ- being that big. Yeah, the oxygen requirements. So I think like a guy like Keen Velasquez is always about 240. Right. He's known for his spectacular cardio. Fabricio Verdum, same thing, somewhere in the 230s. That seems to be the, yeah, the they, right Yeah, that was a, a shocking fight, huh? Yeah, it was crazy. Kane fucked up. I mean, Kane yeah. is known for his cardio, <clears throat> so I think he just got a little cocky and decided not to go to Mexico City. But Mexico City is so—I I can't believe how high it is. It's 7,000-plus feet above altitude. Did you have trouble breathing level. there? I did. There? I worked out in the gym with a fucking elliptical machine that was breathing heavy. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was like, I can't believe these guys are going to fight. So, <laughs> but Fabricio was real smart. He moved to a place that's 1,000 feet above that for like a sure. month and a half. And yeah. Kane was only there for two weeks. And he's improved all the— <clears throat> Fabricio, you know, I, I see him yeah. all the time at Gold's Gym. Mm-hmm. He uh, he's improved vastly, you know every every step of the way, which is nice to see too. Well, he was such a high level jujitsu guy. Yeah. He was one of the best jujitsu fighters in the world. And to get that good at jujitsu, you have to have an intense mind for learning. Yeah. And so he just took that and applied it to boxing and kickboxing, and just once he figured that out. 
everybody is fucked. <laughs> yeah, because, he's like, You don't want to go to the ground with that dude. Yeah, he's that, beat some awesome fighters. Yeah. He beat Fedor really Malenko, the first guy, right? He's first guy to submit Fedor or first guy to submit Kane. Yeah. You know, that's that's a pretty goddamn spectacular <laughs> yeah. resume. All he has to do is beat a few more guys, and he is arguably one of the greatest heavyweights, if not the greatest of all time. Sure. It's interesting you bring up those two fighters. It makes me kind of think, like, maybe there's a, a upper weight limit of uh, muscle mass that you can carry around. Because, like, neither one of those guys is real lean, so maybe around a 200-pound mark is probably almost like the cutoff. If you start being more jacked than that, maybe you can't sustain it for three rounds. Yeah, I think it's a matter of durability. Like, you want to be big enough so that you could take shots. But you can't be too big because you just can't carry it. And those, especially a guy like Kane, like Although he's Cullen, so uh, Coleman and Kerr were kind of the exception. I yeah, guess. Yeah, but they were they were on everything. Yeah. <laughs> they were on bathtubs full of shit. Brock Lesnar's you know? animal, just yeah. an animal. Yeah. He's such a freak of nature. I still maintain to this day that if somebody got a hold of Brock Lesnar early on and said, "Listen to me, and you can be the best heavyweight fighter ever," like a Faraz Zahabi or a yeah. Matt Hume, right. like someone who's a real expert in MMA, who Brock listened to and just said, look, this is what we're going to do. First, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do nothing but striking for like a couple of years. Right. And you're not, you're not going to get hit. I don't want you to develop any bad habits. You're not hitting anybody either. All you're going to do is you're going to do movement with people. We're going right. to hit, you're going to do pad work. You're going to do technique work. And we're going to have that shit built into your, your neurons. Yeah. I mean, we're going to, we're going to have all these sure. movements. They're going to be a part of your natural movement. And if you're willing to do that, you're going to develop a base. And right. that base will translate into success but otherwise you're gonna be scared of getting hit and that's yeah. what his problem always was he would always get tagged by like someone like Shane Carwin or, or Alistair Overeem and you could see just he didn't have enough time yeah, in there he doesn't yeah. like it either yeah you you gotta spar with guys who barely touch you they're like they're not hurting yeah. you and you don't hurt them and that's in the beginning that's like the most critical thing yeah because otherwise you're gonna miss giant chunks of the development because you just get a fucking swing it's amazing that, uh, piece that and, he was able to get to where he did Doing all those years of like WWE mm -hmm. uh, first, yeah, you know, like what just a fucking like, mutant. What if he yeah. just went? What if he had just, like you said, gone straight in? Oh, he would have been know? the best. But ever. he was still a heavyweight champion in the fucking world. He, yeah. beat, he still <laughs> knocked out Randy Couture. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's a stud. Beat the shit out of Frank Mir. He's a stud. Yeah, I love watching him. He just had to. He, I was I was kind of bummed but happy when he decided to quit MMA. Recently, he had a he had a moment where he was trying to figure out whether he's going to keep going with the WWE or give one more shot at the UFC. Right. And I know he he talked to Dana. He talked to the UFC. He was really thinking about it. Yeah. But ultimately, decided you don't want to see himself. him go down a bad path of like being the guy that gets you know. Concussions, yeah, too. Yeah, I think that. that was a big one. He was worried about post-concussion yeah. syndrome. Like uh, Joseph Valtellini, who's the glory welterweight champion, he just stepped down and relinquished his title because of concussions. Mm. Like, concussions in MMA are a big fucking issue. Yeah. You don't hear about it. Yeah. How do you feel about Like, I watch a lot of fights where, you know, we, we, you want to see them go on. You just want to see these, you know, some guys will yeah, get don't pounded. Don't stop it. Don't stop it. Some guys yeah. will get pounded. And, and come back. And they come right back. And, yeah. and it's like, oh, well, good thing they didn't call it. You know, great job, Herb Dean or whoever the ref is. And then other times, guys get pounded and uh, they get pounded 10 times in a row and then they're out. And then it's like, well, did it need the 10 <laughs> yeah. shots to be out? You know, it's. Why the fight is actually happening, I always root for the guy to come back. But after the fight's over, like if I'm analyzing it from a, like a rational standpoint, I'm always like, oh, stop it. You He's know? in trouble, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. Yeah, you're ringside. I mean, it must be a little scary at times when people are Sometimes. getting blasted, right? Some of the knockouts. There's been some knockouts. Where you and just you go, probably Jesus. see the eyes and everything, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. How did yeah. you get into that? Like, were you were you fighting before? Way or, before. Yeah, you were way, fighting way, way, way before, before you had a, a really big interest in it. 
Yeah. Well, I, I um I had stopped competing in like 1988. That's when I got into comedy, and uh, maybe 89 was probably like my last kickboxing fights. And then I went into stand up, and then I just trained recreationally until like around 93. The UFC came around. I, I think I saw the first uh, tape. I saw a tape of it at 94. Yeah. And then I was like, holy shit, what is this jujitsu yeah, stuff? Yeah, we were there from day one too. Fuck. We fucking yeah, loved I, it. I watched that first pay per view live. I remember that. Like, it was like crazy to yeah, watch. Yeah, I didn't I get like, a chance. What? I saw it on tape. Someone talked about it at the gym, and I was like, what is going on? They were like, they we get couldn't all these- believe it. We it was saw like a commercial dream come true for yeah. us. Yeah, yeah I saw the commercial it. for I'm like, oh my God. It was crazy back in the day. And remember, it used yeah. to be in the Faces of Death section at the video store. <laughs> yeah. But it got banned for like a long time. It went completely away. Well, that's when I came in. I came in while I was banned. I started working in 97. Mm. So I started doing the post-fight interviews in 97 while I was uh, on the sitcom news radio. I would go on the weekends, fly off to fucking bumfuck Alabama. It's a great book, uh, Blood in the Cage, that outlines all that stuff. And it outlines like how... uh, Dana got into it and they went mm-hmm. to an event and he was like this just sucks they don't even sell t-shirts they don't what, yeah. what's going on we need to like take this over you know that kind of thing it's really cool yeah they bought it in uh, 2001 I think and uh, I came in in 2002 and started doing the commentary yeah I'd, and, I'd and remember when it got in trouble years. before the uh, the ultimate fighter I actually worked for um, WWE and um Vince McMahon we were <laughs> I remember being in a limo with Vince McMahon being like dude it's like they're trying to sell it you should buy it and he yeah. was like, he's like, I don't know. I don't know. Then years later, they tried to unsuccessfully start some sort of uh, MMA thing. But I think Vince's Vince main, McMahon did. Uh, yeah, they they tried to. They never never got off the ground. They were like, oh, they were planning on it. On it? Yeah, yeah. What happened though was uh, Vince, and he had a legitimate concern. Is like, I don't want it'll take the legitimacy out of it. You know, like if he owned something like that, you know, they might think it's fixed. They'll think it's fake. Well, they yeah. didn't think that about the XFL. <laughs> I right. guess not. That's yeah. True. Yeah. I think it's the real problem is the talent pool. You know, yeah. There's just not that many good fighters. Right. The UFC owns the contracts for 500 fighters. Wow. And they're all the best fighters. Sure. We, there's not one fighter in any weight class outside the UFC that you can make a rational argument that's the best fighter in that weight class. So once they have that, it's like, boy, it's hard to sell a league when you know that the UFC, like, this is our 170-pound <clears throat> world champion. Like, well, is that really? Because everybody knows Robbie Lawler is the fucking it's, world it's champion. It's hard for right. me to watch <laughs> any sort of competition. Yeah, it's it's hard for me, you know. I I get it. Well, there's real Fighting's good fights cool. in other organizations. Yeah, yeah. Sure. you know, like uh, like World Series of Fighting has some good fights. Bellator has some good yeah. fights. But it's just going to be real hard for them to f- build stars right. to build like a because everybody like a kid coming up wants to be the best. You know, if he wants to be the best, one hundred thirty five pound, he wants to fight TJ Dillashaw. He doesn't want to fight Marty McFuckface from <laughs> from uh, Mike's Hardcore Fighting Championship. Yeah, you know what right. I mean? It's like. You just you want to be the best, so they're always going to recruit the best guys. They're ahead of the game. You know, it's not a lockdown game. And you know, if especially like if like Bellator signs Fedor, and maybe if somebody gets Gina Carano, like shit can right. get weird. Yeah, I feel like it's all like the same with wrestling, though. If you look at WWE, they've been they've had a monopoly for a while. Then WCW came along and they mm-hmm. started getting popular. But then you know now that now that the leagues the, uh, the other league TNA, it's so lame. You know, it's like yeah. no, nobody really gives a fuck about it at all. And that's the thing is like. In the end, like UFC will be, it'll be around forever. It's like the yeah. NFL. Unless they sell it, they they could they could get to a point where they're like, look, let's just get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is too, too much yeah. work, killing us. Because I mean, Dana works all day long, every day. He's constantly flying all over the world, and Lorenzo's doing the same thing. It's like. It's a lot of work. It's yeah. not easy doing what those guys are doing. And when they're gone, everybody's going to miss them. Yeah. People complain about the UFC, but when they're gone, you realize the alternative. 
They've, they've created an industry. People I mean, are mad about uh, stupid uniforms. I mean, that's the last thing to get mad about. Uh, you know, well, so. they have some points. Yeah, I'm yeah, on I, the fighter side when it comes to that. With the, with the sponsorships? Yeah. It's just, they lose too much money. You know, it's just, I've been... I was lucky enough to get in on the last, uh, the last thing before uh, Reebok took over with... Uh, with one of the fighters, and it was pretty cool. It's cool to see the logo up there and all yeah. that stuff. It was nice. Yeah. People, well, that's a big part of what the fighters get is yeah. what you would say, like ego sponsorships. Right. Like Dynamic Fastener is on, yeah. like, so I don't even know what that is. Right. But yeah. it's on so many different t shirts. How do you, uh, so many. Now, Reebok said that they're, I guess it's it seems like um, over the spread over all the fighters, they'll make more money, the younger fighters, or is that just not true? I don't think it's true. Yeah. No, I don't think it's true. I think um, maybe if the deal changes or they start to make more money and you know it becomes something bigger than what yeah. it is right now. But if you look at it right now, Tim Kennedy said it best recently. He said on one Strike Force card, he made more money in sponsorships than the Reebok paid out for the entire last UFC card from Brazil. Yeah, I gotcha. Wow. So all those people wearing Reebok gear, he made more money from one fight in Strike Force. Yeah. So. That's so I just, yeah, it looked like Reebok got a pretty good deal from what I heard. I don't um, think it's a good deal. No, uh, I mean I this, mean for Reebok. But no, I don't think it's a good oh, okay. deal for Reebok is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Because I think it gives them a bad name oh. in, in some ways. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So all these people complaining yeah, wearing about a tap it. out and wears, yeah. Well, no, 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 it's not tap out. But, <laughs> but all these people are complaining, like Tim Kennedy complaining, Stitch Duran complaints, he gets right. fired, oh, all these fired fighters it, yeah. are complaining, lots of fighters are complaining, right. Brendan Schaub complaining, all these different guys complained. That... That's all negative press right. towards their brand. I mean, they're not a person, right? They're yeah. a brand. Correct. If you associate that brand, you can't, like, fire the head guy and change the brand. The brand's still the brand. Right. You know, and everybody's going to associate that brand with it. Is it a big-name brand? Yeah. Is it, well, is it good people... to see a big-name brand attached to a, a sport like the UFC? Yeah, absolutely. Right. But I feel like whenever you're in a situation where the, the fighters are going to lose money, that's always the number one concern that people have. Everybody knows the window of opportunity for a fighter is extremely small. Sure. They have a few years to make some money. Right. So when you take some of that money away from them, in term, you know, in favor of prestige, the prestige, which is inarguable, right. Reebok's a huge brand. It's, it's great to be in business with a big brand. Yeah. But if it costs fighters money, boy, that's going to be hot. You can't not see that. It's not like right. people are going to put blinders on and ignore that. You have to address yeah. that. And social media is a huge thing, so the fighters are going to be heard. The you know? hugest. Yeah. It's, the big, it's bigger than anything because if, if you bitch about something on Twitter and someone says, holy shit, Chris Bell just went off about that, and then some newspaper yeah. gets a hold of it, and then boom, it goes viral and <laughs> right. Facebook, and people repost it and tweet it. Because <laughs> right. we live in a different world. Yeah. And so anytime someone like Stitch gets fired because he said something about, hey, you know, Reebok, uh, this deal kind of sucks for me because now I'm not making as much money, so they fire him, and then all of a sudden, boom, that becomes a way bigger issue than it was right. just you yeah, know, with him, him saying that. If he just said that and that was it, it would have been a small issue. Right. But him saying that and then getting fired for it, it compounds the issue. And people react quickly to yes. social media, you know, makes everything go yeah, a lot faster. You know? Yeah, they start wearing Nikes. They start <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what, yeah, that's, I'm yeah. not a business person. I'm, right. I'm not, I would, if I was running the UFC, it would have been bankrupt a long fucking <laughs> yeah. time ago. But you, you, I think it's, it's real it's real dangerous looking at the bright side of deals like this. Right. Like, let's look at the bright side. I'm. Let's look at the worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah. What's the worst case scenario? Everybody's gonna hate Reebok. Right. That's the worst case scenario. People are gonna be mad at the UFC and mad at Reebok. So I go, ooh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I was able to sponsor uh, Joseph Benavides, and that was pretty cool. But uh, you know, which I was company? What, what is your company? Uh, Slingshot. This. 
the slingshot that I had you uh, throw on earlier. Did yeah, some he's got banged this, out, banged out some push-ups in. Yeah, he's got this cool device that you uh, slide. It's like this heavy-duty rubber uh, thing that you slide up to your biceps. And it actually gives you a bit of an assistance when doing push-ups or bench press or something right. like that. Yeah, it feels good, man. I like it. Where where can people get this? They want to get that? how much you bench dot net? How much you bench, yo? There's the <laughs> fucking plug. How much you bench dot? Yeah, what don't you bench some retarded number like seven hundred pounds? Uh, my, best, my best bench press in competition, uh, this is with a bench shirt, which is much more heavy-duty than, than something like the slingshot. It's this uh, supportive device that's crazy looking. It looks like a straight jacket, but I did an 854-pound bench press <laughs> in a 275-pound weight class. And then without a bench shirt, my best bench press is 560 pounds in competition. That's like a Harley Davidson, <laughs> right? How much do those weigh? Those weigh like 800 pounds. Fuck. It's crazy. That's a lot of goddamn weight, dude. How yeah, much? I've been at it for a long time. I started when I was 12. Two older brothers that are dicks that uh, forced me to lift weights even though I was a <laughs> pussy and I didn't fucking want to. Now, what are those bench shirts, those vests? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. do those bench, things do? Yeah, bench shirt. Uh, it's like wearing a denim jacket backwards is what it's like. Originally it, was, originally, it was designed just to be protective. And then people were like, wait a second. Not only is it protective, but I can lift more weight with it and so then they started making them more and more extreme they used to be like one layer then they started making two layers and they started making them out of a pair of fucking jeans then they started making them out of a canvas and all kinds of and weird it got different to the material point where people revolted against that and now everybody lifts raw or everybody a lot, lifts a without lot, the a lot of people shirt. lift raw because yeah. you could say oh how much do your bench oh five and raw would just be with just wrist wraps do, on what did basically. you do raw five 560. 560. That's crazy. You can do 300 pounds more with one of those shirts on. Yeah, isn't that nuts? That isn't is that nuts. Squat, yeah, and a crazy. squat, too. A squat was like 1,000 pounds. Did a 1,080 squat and uh, fell pretty bad with a 1,085. You fell? I with fucking fell. Pounds? Well, what happened was is there's a girl that uh, was trained at her gym, and she's running our she's running the squat rack. The squat rack is called a monolift, and uh, when you uh, you release this like lever so that I don't have to walk the weight backwards. Mm -hmm. You understand that? Right. I don't have to walk the weight backwards. The lever moves out of the way, and I pick the weight up and go. The problem is the girl's hot and she's in a sundress, <laughs> and I'm trying to I'm trying to fucking concentrate on a lift here. And so midway down on the squat, one knee shoots out to the left. The other knee shoots out the other way, and next thing I know, is on the fucking ground. So was it on your back or in front of you? Like, no, how, I how did it it, well, land? well, luckily I got kind of unloaded from the weight quickly. It it fell back behind me, and I fell forward. Uh, oh, but I was fucked God. up for months from that. That was a that was a pretty bad. How'd you fuck? Like what? What kind of injury? Uh, you know what? I never went to the doctor. I'm not a fan of going to the doctor, so I just uh, rubbed some fucking dirt on it and just uh, lived with pain all, for a ankle while. Ankle was like black and blue, right? My ankle was fucked up. My knees were fucked up. But you know, I I did go to uh, I went to a friend of mine. He's like, what are they going to compare X-rays and MRIs and stuff to? He's like, you already know you're all fucked up anyway. <laughs> are you all fucked up from lifting? No, I'm not that bad. I'm I'm pretty much okay. I have so how, why would general... the MRI reveal damage? Well, he just he was just saying like your knees are probably there's probably slight tears here and there, you know, because right. I've had knee pain and all kinds of different things for years. So he was just saying like you're yeah they're gonna tell you that you're fucked up. He's like, what are you gonna do about it? Well, shoulders are a big one for guys who bench that much, right? The shoulders, tear. pecs. Yeah, people blow off their pec. That's how I invented the slingshot. Was I tore my pec three times? I injured three myself three times. Yeah, they so were did all... you get it stitched back? In? No, no. You didn't? No, I don't like going to the doctor. So you tore it and you just <laughs> dealt with it? Just dealt with it. Yeah, I didn't. I never oh had God. like a. I never had like a rupture. You know, I never tore it uh, all never, the way through. Yeah, I never tore it all the way through to where it was like bleeding down to the bicep and all that nasty shit that can happen with a torn pec. I did with my tricep and it's brutal. 
Yeah, I've seen people. Off the bone. Seen a lot of people that get the bicep where it curls yeah. up like a golf ball. It looks crazy. You know, like uh, there's some fighters that that like getting punched in the face. I I kind of like pain, so for me, uh, it's kind of uh, it's kind of just part of the territory with training. Yeah, the pain guys, those are weird people. You're a weird person. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't well, mind it. I don't mind it. Well, the thing about soreness, it's like it lets you know, like, yeah, I fucking really got to work out. There's in. a difference between yeah. soreness, though, and not being able to get up, you know, yeah. out of bed in the morning and stuff like that. That stuff's, you know, brutal. Joint pain especially, right? Yeah, Muscle oh, yeah. pain and joint pain are two different animals. Yeah. Joint pain's rough. Yeah. Neck and back. You, get, and, you know, you get some little shit that for some reason you just can't handle. It's like the little tiny things that just gnaw away at you. You're like, motherfucker, why does my elbow hurt so bad? Goddamn hangnails. Just from <laughs> yeah. uh, what? It's the littlest thing. It, it just from crazy. lifting in general. Like, every, you know, pretty much everybody we know has some sort of injury. Yeah, you Everybody's hurt somewhere. You or know? you're not working out hard. It's yeah, right. one of two things. Well, people just, people look breaks. at uh, certain forms of exercise, like CrossFit, say, and they go, oh, everybody gets hurt in that. I'm like, everybody gets hurt in powerlifting. Everybody I know that's a bodybuilder gets hurt. Like, everybody gets hurt. Oh, you hurt, take anything yeah. extreme, you uh, get fucked doing up. Doing this, and that's what we, we talked about, we were talking about on the way up here, is just slowing down in your workouts, just mm-hmm. taking time to actually uh, think about what you're doing There's 1,036 yeah. pounds and 1,085 pounds. Oh, yeah, this is, I actually make this one. But see the sundress? Tum- why does it say tumble? Oh, oh that's oh, the yeah, tumble. There we, go. there we go. That's the girl in the sundress? Mm-hmm. She fucked you up. Yep, look at that. <laughs> look how big his face is. Yeah, I'm about 320 pounds in this uh, video, or 310 God, pounds. Damn, dude. That's a wide-ass stance, too. You always squat that wide? Uh, in a squat suit, I squat a little bit wider. Um, it, it creates some uh, tightness around the hips and kind of gives you some support through your hips. That guy's pretty hot, too. Yeah. Isn't the guy behind, isn't that um, the trainer UFC guy? Oh, yeah, that's uh, uh, Amadeo Novella, who is a uh, trainer of uh, some UFC fighters, Chad Mendez and um, uh, Joseph Benavidez and a bunch of other small dudes that can fuck people up. Yeah, it's funny that they have a whole camp full of those dudes, isn't it? This, yeah. Is this you giving out? Oh, yeah. Jesus, dude. God damn, that's a lot of weight. Yeah, and so, like, uh, when it happened, when I fell, it, it, it wasn't... It didn't hurt that bad uh, initially, but then as time wore on, it got worse and worse and worse. The swelling just started getting fucking crazy. I stayed at the competition, and uh, I'm a coach for all the athletes that are in that video, basically. And I stayed the whole time and helped everybody, and just like I normally would normally do. And then the next day, when I woke up, I just I couldn't. Or by the time I got home, even I couldn't even uh, couldn't even get upstairs to go to bed. I just fucking sat on the couch and or, or sat on the chair and just slept in the chair for the night and slept right there for the next like two or three days you know one of the interesting aspects of your film was louis simmons amazing uh, yeah yeah greg i have one of his uh, reverse hypers in the back things are great, awesome oh, great it's incredible machine. machine for for decompressing your lower back and sure. pumping blood yeah. into it and everything oh things amazing but he's a refreshing character too yeah you know who's funny when you know you're saying that you were going to get off steroids he's like right, right. he'll be back yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll yeah. Be back. of course <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the attitude that all those guys have. It's like, look, you just have to accept the fact that you are now a, a steroid dude. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And you know, making a good documentary, uh, I think, is a, it's a lot about casting. It's about mm-hmm. who you pick. You know, it's just like a, any other movie, uh, who you pick to be in the movie. And uh, Louis Simmons was somebody that inspired me. Uh, to do things differently, to think differently, use chains and bands. I used to go into Gold's Gym, you know, 
15, yeah, 20 years. He's the years pioneer ago. of that, by the way, bands and chains and all that type of. He was in chains on the bar to like What's accommodate the resistance. So like the band will. Oh, you could tell them. It You're gets harder lifting. as you get higher. Yeah, as you yeah, go up. It's, it's called good. It's called accommodating resistance. It basically makes you uh, drive into the bar faster. So if you can picture a bunch of chains on the bar, there's. Um, Let's say 40 pounds of chains on the bar. As you lower those weights, there'll be less and less weight on the bar. Right. And as you go to pick it back up, there'll be more and more weight on the bar. So you right. have to actually physically move faster. Um, a uh. way that I try to explain it to people is if you were to try to hop up on this podcast table, you can't do it slowly. So when you train with bands and chains, it's a similar thing. You have to do it quickly. You have to try to. Uh, get a lot of acceleration into it. Well, that makes sense. So that would probably aid in explosive shit like football right. or punching right. people. Or yeah. And then also the, also a huge benefit of it is that the weight is lighter at the bottom. Same thing kind of happens with the slingshot. But with the weight being lighter at the bottom, it it's, uh, creates a safer environment because the bottom of a squat and the bottom of a bench press are kind of somewhat dangerous positions to be in. How much does a chain weigh normally? They usually weigh about 20 pounds, the ones that we use. Oh, they're, that's they're pretty. They're pretty goddamn thick. Yeah, like big ass motorcycle like a, chains from the seventies, like a well, the, boating type. The of thing. The thing is, I, I would read a, a magazine called Powerlifting USA. We didn't have the. Internet. Oh, I thought you were going to say inches. Oh uh, yeah, inches too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't tell them about that. And so, foot action. <laughs> yeah. So we used to look at that that magazine. It was the only only information on strength training in the entire world that a kid, fifteen years old, growing up in Poughkeepsie, New York, could get his hands on. So I would read that, and I'd go to the gym, and I'd try out all these weird things, and people were like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And um, when I was a kid, I was squatting, you know, five hundred for sets of eight reps, and people were like, "What? What is this?" He kid squatted six hundred and seventy-five pounds in high school. He was yeah, a fucking like, bull, what, man. What, what, the, what the fuck are you on, right? And I'm like, "I'm not. I'm not on anything. I'm on Louis Simmons, you know." And so when I started training uh, Mark to just be, you know, an animal. Uh, it was. Uh, he had a lifting belt that said "Roid suck." <laughs> yeah, yep. I had really? a lifting belt. I wrote on the director of Bigger, Stronger, Faster, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, and it said "Roid suck," and I would go to the gym, and all these guys were like all juiced up, like Poughkeepsie, New York. It's like I don't know what it's, it's in the water there, but everybody was on something, and um, and I just always wanted to sort of deny that, go against that. Like I'm not doing this, and um, that's that's why that was a whole. The whole genesis for that movie was the fact that I always had this weird moral thing, you uh -huh. know, like against it. I got, right. I, can't, I can't do that. That's just fucking cheating. Jamie, can you get some of those caveman? Give me some of those nitro cans. Um, those fuckers are good. Yeah, bring bring a few of those. They're trying to kill us. No, this is the good shit, man. No, we're, out of, we're out of regular coffee. What what was it that pushed you over the edge and made you want to try steroids? Then, uh, if, what, how old society? You? Uh, society. You know, I went to USC and there's hot chicks everywhere, and I but wasn't. You're a gorilla. You're I, fucking squatting six hundred. But I wasn't pounds. really in good shape. I didn't look good. But all you had to do was like clean up your diet. He's well, always I, had a kind of a conflict with uh, with his like build. He's always been trying to get in better shape, and so I think that uh, steroids is a a quicker and easier. Out uh, in some cases to uh, get a little bit better shape. You know? I, I totally understand that, but I mean, you were. It sounds like if you would you say you squat six seventy five? Yeah, yeah. When I was younger, a lot of fucking weight. I mean, yeah. you had to be a big fucker to do that. Yeah, I was about. I was a little bit fatter than I am now. You know, two. Right now I weigh about two ten. I was about two forty, maybe. You know. So it was just a matter of you just didn't like the way you looked. Yeah, I didn't like the way it I looked, and, and everybody else was uh, in good shape. I was training at Gold's Venice. I'd be in Gold. I'd be in Gold's Gym Venice, and like the Hulkster would be in there, and you know, Macho Man Randy Savage. What you a, gonna do when a black guy dates your daughter? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the Hulkster, yeah. That's the depressing shit, wasn't it? That's amazing. He, you know busted. what? He'll he'll be back. Throwing an N word rant. He said <laughs> some uh, bad things. You know, he'll be. I think with wrestling, like it's. 
the the most inexcusable things have been excused, and I think that they'll figure out a way to. Did they know. fire him from the WWE? They erased him from his their website completely, like as if he never existed. Uh, you can't do that to the Hulk. Damn. Star. Yeah, I mean, it's just like how rude. Hey, still pinning Iron Cheek. Yeah, <laughs> I was there. Yeah. I saw it. Were I saw you? it. No. <laughs> That'd be amazing if you were there. Uh, physically? No. Yeah. I've never been to one of those things. Madison no. Square Garden. You're not into wrestling, are you? No, I'm not. No. No. Because it's fake. We were just into yes. all that shit. We were into but wrestling. You were, you, were into, you were into martial arts since you were a little kid, too, yeah. right? So well, I was into it in high school. In high school, I loved Jimmy Superfly Snooker yeah. and Bob Backlund and all that I wrestled shit. Jimmy Snooker. Did you? He yeah. pinned, listen to where your career goes in wrestling. He pinned Jimmy Superfly Snooker at an Indian casino, casino for, for like 50 bucks. Yeah, in front of about 40 people. It's awesome. <laughs> where was this? Time of my life. What part? Of, I don't know where the fuck I was. Where was I? Uh, somewhere in California. Somewhere. God damn. Fifty those, bucks. Fifty bucks, yeah. God damn. And what is Snooker in a circus like these tent. days? He he looked like a transvestite. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? He was hot. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He was, Actually, he uh, was Rowdy Roddy yoked. Piper just passed away. Yeah, he, he was, was like, yeah, that he was, was, was a, the nemesis. Um, yeah, they're actually having a, um, next week, next Monday at the uh, comedy store. There's a uh, tribute oh, to Rowdy really? Roddy Piper and all the people that, that knew him are going to come in and talk about him. <sighs> I never got a chance to meet that guy. It always bummed me out. He was he great. Was fucking awesome. He was awesome. That's all I heard. I heard he was such a great guy. That's yeah, what we loved fired. about wrestling. Like we just loved the personalities. We loved uh, if, if UFC was around, when we were like little kids. We probably went into that route. You know, our yeah. older brother was always beating somebody up. You know, and that's he he went into pro wrestling because that's all existed at the time. But I know if MMA existed at the time, he would have went that way. The um the thing when you did with Jimmy Snuka, like how old was he at the time? He's got to be in his 60s, right? Uh, this was uh, probably about uh, 15 years ago. Uh, Might but, have been uh, in his 60s then. But yeah, yeah, he was definitely right? uh, definitely old, definitely out of shape, yeah. It wasn't oh. It wasn't pretty. Was it weird? Did it feel weird? Oh, it was fucking really weird, yeah. And the poor guy, like, what does he do for Pro wrestling now? in general is weird. Like, wrestling another dude in, like, tights and stuff. It's really strange. strange. Yeah. I mean, like, we, we used to run this uh, small wrestling federation with a guy named Rick Bassman, who's a good friend of ours. And um, it was called UPW, Ultimate Pro Wrestling. And we put, like, 30 guys into WWE. So a lot of times, like, these young guys had to work with the older guys. Like, John Cena would be working with... Uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Yeah. Greg the Hammer Valentine, like, hey, kid, I'm not going to bump for anyone. You know, bump means bump hit the around mat, the ring. Like, I'm, I'm never going to hit the mat. You're just going to beat the shit out of you. So it was like, that's part of uh, part of that. What does that thing. mean, bump? What are you saying? Uh, just hit the mat. Basically, uh, you know, just like fall for the other guy, meaning meaning oh. uh, like the older guys don't want to do any of the work. You're going to work around them and make them look good, but they're not actually going to do anything. <laughs> oh, so they don't fall down anymore because they're all banged they're up. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, like, fuck you, I'm not falling down. <laughs> Did Superfly have that kind of a conversation with uh, you? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, what, do you, how does it, what does it go down? Yeah, well, he How's basically, uh, he just told me the different uh, moves he wanted to do, and I was like, all right, well, it just sounds like I'm not really getting in too many moves. <laughs> so yeah, but what happened, was, what... what happened was... He did the Superfly move, right? Yeah. And then you flipped him over and pinned him, so you right. ended up winning. Right. He still does the Superfly at yeah. his age? Yeah. It's amazing. He wanted me to, like, sit way up, though, you know, I, like, to catch him. And I right. did, and it fucking, it hurt like a motherfucker. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah these old guys will stiff you. You yeah. ever have another man jump off the top rope on you? No, I have not. <laughs> Did you ever see the one where Brock Lesnar does the shooting star Holy lands on his head? Yeah, yeah, I was actually there. And he's I, done I, that move like hundreds of times when he was when he was younger in a different federation before he got to WWE. Yeah. I were I worked really at, sucked. I worked at that WrestleMania. I was yeah. I was up in the skybox. I'm watching. I'm like, oh my god, he's, he's dead. He's dead. 
He's dead. Meanwhile, he still completes the pin. <laughs> he's still, yeah, he, he, he just messed up. He's a stiff pin. neck for a week or something. He was yeah. he was messed up a little bit, but he wasn't that bad compared to what he should have been. He's such a freak. He really is like one of the, the biggest I think freak he said athletes. In an interview, like there's like two years that he just doesn't remember. Yeah, because of that? drugs. No, because no. of drugs. Oh, what, hey, what just, was he on? I'm not sure. Probably, probably Oxycontin. Like well, those a lot guys, of these. they do. That was the other thing that was in this Two article years, about just Rowdy Roddy Piper. His fucking mind. <laughs> there was an article about Rowdy Roddy Piper. We were talking about the the drugs that they do. Here it is, right here. Oh shit! Look at this. Yeah. Oh, oh my god, dude! A normal person would be dead. And he's 290 That's right there. That's WrestleMania in uh, Seattle. Look how jacked he is. Uh, yeah, he was giant. We'll, we were just talking about talking about Piper. You oh, heard the interview. Oh, they were talking about the amount of time that they spend on the road wrestling. And that like any other sport, you get like time off. A break. Off. Yeah. Like these guys are wrestling There's 390 no... a year, which is crazy. Like yeah. you don't, you can't recover. You just can't recover. So they all get hooked on pain pills. I just right. did a movie called The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. It's about Jake the Snake Roberts, who was an 80s wrestler, you know, and he was a crack addict. So to another wrestler, Diamond Dallas Page, helps him get sober. We just showed that movie at Slamdance. It'll be out pretty soon. But it, it really shows what these guys go through, um, you know, afterwards. It shows, it, it's it's the, a documentary that's just like the movie The Wrestler. It's a real, you know, real life Darker. Version. Darker, yeah. though. Yeah, pretty much. It's fucking dark. Jake, Jake the Snake, the snake uh, uh, Dallas Diamond Page is doing wrestling or uh, doing yoga now. He's yeah. like this big yoga DDP proponent. DDP yoga. Yep. He's fucking crazy fit for an dude, old dude, He does man. Superman push-ups you know, yeah. on, on his fingertips. He's mm -hmm. doing push-ups. Takes his ankle and puts it up by his fucking face I, and shit. I went, I went to his house uh, when we were doing the documentary. I was an executive producer on the documentary, which I do all the Hollywood stuff. I help get it sold. I help get it to festivals, all that kind of stuff. And I just really believed in it. And I, I believed in it from the beginning. I knew they were making it. And um, they asked me to get behind it really early. So when I went down to their house to work on the movie, uh, he's like, yeah, I'm going to take you through this yoga thing. And I'm like, okay, what is this bullshit? Within 10 minutes, uh, he had a heart rate monitor. My, my heart rate was up to 155. And he's like, okay, we got to slow you down and keep you at like 145. So this is like this constant cardio, flexing, moving, awesome yoga thing. Uh, that somebody like me needs for mobility. I think mm -hmm. it's really, it's actually a really cool thing that he's doing. Well, yoga is great for mobility. It's it's really hard to do. It's one of those things where you look at it, you're like, ah, oh, a bunch of fucking soccer yeah. moms. Yeah. But then you get in there, you're like, holy this, shit. This, this is, is a little bit more hard. digestible for someone like me because it's a lot based. He sort of bases it around wrestling. Wrestling. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do the diamond cutter and then you flex like this yeah. and you hold it and it's kind of fun, you know? Yeah, I get it. It's kind of, there's no namastes. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you had a double hip replacement? Yeah, right, uh, actually right towards the end of doing Bigger, Stronger, Faster. Uh, when we were doing the movie, I was just worn down all the time. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I, mean, I can barely walk. Uh, I just kept having all these, these problems with my hips and um, went and got it checked out. And the doctor just said, okay, walk across the room. I walked across the room. He said, you need two fake, you need two new hips. I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, you need two new Is hips. Is this a doctor that sells hips? Uh, he was an orthopedic surgeon, you know? And, Jesus um, Christ! And when the, what did the MRI reveal? I'm sure they did. Basically, the bone, bone on bone, and mm -hmm. my bone uh, was completely smashed on both sides. So they were like smashed into the, you know, into your into your. Hip and he socket. was in a lot of pain all the time. He could only, I mean, like three four hours at a time was what you could give to the film usually, and then you were just from your yeah, shot. You got to sit yeah. down a lot and get like. And this, you said this is a genetic issue. Yeah, my dad has the same thing. My dad has two fake hips now, but he didn't get them till way later. Um, so what happened was 
they, you know, who knows if if uh, wearing down of the hips, squatting all that much, and whatever. I don't really blame it on powerlifting because I don't think that that's really the cause. Because there's a million powerlifters out there, and I'm the one with two fake hips. You know, so it's not like uh, oh, this happens to every powerlifter. You know, it doesn't. But don't you think it has it must have some effect? Yeah, I, could, think, I think everything possibly. has everything has an effect. You know, it's like they uh, played football, you wrestled, shit like that. I mean, yeah, been but you know, he's he's. Uh, he doesn't have two fake hips and he's the same genetics, you know, as, yeah. you know, as me. So I, I got it from my dad. You know, my dad has the same. But what do they, what do they classify it as? What do they classify it as? Yeah, just well, osteoarthritis. It's just so, but you only get it in your hips. No, I have it in my ankles and my knees. I, both my knees need to be replaced, but I'm just Whoa, sort of, Jesus I'm just sort of like putting that off because like you said, we have new therapies that. You had your knees uh, done when you were a kid too, right? Yeah, when I was 17 years old, I had double knee surgery, so. What'd you have done? I just had arthroscopic uh, bone chips removed and bone stuff chips. like that. Yeah, but you know, the thing is, I've been in pain my whole life, you know, and there was a certain point uh, when I got the hip surgery that I wasn't able to able to handle it anymore and they started feeding me pills you know like crazy mm -hmm. uh and i got into that really hardcore because that was something that uh you know at first you do it because it helps the pain and then after a while you do it uh because it's fun so this is post bigger stronger faster yeah right after bigger so stronger after faster. bigger stronger faster you get your double hip replacements and then you had the pill problem yeah you get hooked on drugs it's like you know you, you never aspire to become a drug addict but it happens and um, a lot happened to a lot of my friends. It happened to a lot of people. It's happened to a lot of people. I know. Do you think yeah, uh, that, a lot? Do you think a little bit of that had to do with like the recovery because you had both of them done rather than just like one of them done at a time? Yeah, I would always suggest to anybody that has to have double hip replacement surgery get one done at a time because at least you have one side that's good and the other side that heals. Yeah, you literally couldn't really move at all. I was sort of like in a point in my life where I'm like, you know what, just do it. Who cares? Let's go. And, right. And didn't really think it through that. How good. old were you? Thirty three at the time. And whew, Jesus Christ, double hip replacement at 33. And if you don't know what a double hip replacement means, they cut off the top of the bone and they literally have this long screw that they drive into the meat of the bone where the marrow is and it locks in place this new fake hip. Right. It's fucking gnarly shit. Yeah. My friend Graham Hancock had it done. He was here six weeks later. He wasn't even walking with a limp. Wow. I was like, this is crazy. You had a hip replacement? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had complications with mine. So on, on one of the sides, they had complications uh, getting it in because they're like, oh, all this muscle from squatting, your ass is like a rock. So they're trying to, they had to pound it in with a hammer. It looked like um, I saw the surgery, part of the surgery back on camera. And it looked Ooh. like an auto body shop. It looked like they were fixing a car. Yeah, there's a video of Tito Ortiz getting his uh, disc replaced in his neck. He did got his disc fused. I think he got a. I'm not sure if it was a spacer or disc replaced. Mm. But uh, they're fucking hammering on his neck, like clink, clink, uh, yeah. clink, 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 clink. I gotta get it in there. I'm like what the fuck? That's <laughs> his neck, man. That is insane. Ugh. So what does it feel like now? Now, actually, the hips feel okay if I lift heavy. I still, like, I'll still squat and deadlift. I just can't go as heavy as I used to. Mm -hmm. You know, I've deadlifted up to 550 with two fake hips. Which Jesus is, Christ. You know, not a very good deadlift in, in Mark's world, but, you know, for, for having the surgery and everything, it's okay. And they're fine. Like, it doesn't... And yeah. they're built. Did you tell the doctor like, give me some fucking serious heavy duty ones? <laughs> they're titanium anyway. Off road, <laughs> yeah. some off road shocks. They're uh, titanium, you know. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of people say, well, why do you have to lift like that? Why do you, you know, like, you know, people always want to concern themselves with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, they go like, why, why do you feel you need you have to lift like that? It's just something that's ingrained in you. You just like doing it. If you had surgery and somebody told you why do you have to fight still, why do you have to go because you have to. Did you ask the doctor for a bigger dick? 
<laughs> you I don't that's that. an option. Oh. Now, when they cut you open, where do they cut you? Uh, right on, a, on the side of your ass cheek, kind of. Is it a giant scar? It's like that big, like three or four inches. Hmm. Wow, that's amazing. You do all that work with three or four inches. Yeah. Like, I have a buddy who was on the U.S. ski team. I have a buddy who was on the U.S. ski team, and uh, he's had, no bullshit, I think 28 knee surgeries. What? Wow. Yeah, he's got, I'll show you the surface of his knees. Skiing is not good for your knees. No, he's had his knees uh, resurfaced. Jesus yeah, Christ. it's fucking gnarly. Let me see, let me find this picture real quick and I'll show it to you because it's it's one of those where I show people and they go, "What is, <laughs> am I looking at?" He um, but anyway, his scars on his knee it looks like 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 you're gutting a fish. Yeah, like they go all the way down wow. the side of the knee and they opened it up. And this was just in the eighties. My wow. dad has that. My dad has you know fake knees also, and he's got those big scars. Fuck man, your dad's got it rough. He's a warrior. Frankenstein. That is uh that's a lot of fucking surgery, a lot of shit to get done on your body. Yeah. Fake knees and fake hips. <sighs> so you think that you're gonna eventually have to do that too. The knees? Yeah. I'm gonna try to hold it off as long as possible and I think that the best way to go is uh trying new th uh therapies like stem cells, other things that are coming out. Um I know that certain uh there's actually a, a gel that they can put into your uh knee. Uh, they replace cartilage. Uh, John Cena had it done. It's like a, it's a very uh, advanced technique that, you know, they're just basically, they use very sparingly. Well, I know that they're doing, um, they have this new meniscus surgery that they're doing where they are taking um, this, like a scaffolding, and they implant it inside where your meniscus used to be and with these proteins in it. And mm. somehow or another, your body grows meniscus in this scaffolding. <laughs> Seems to make sense. It's nuts, man. <laughs> it's crazy. The shit that they're able to do now is just amazing. Let me show you. This is my buddy's knee. Wow. Yeah, that's the same guy that was on the U.S. ski team. Wow. They cut him. Steve Graham, what's up, brother? They cut him, just cut him like open like a fish. It looks like steak and like two wedding rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fucking gnarly looking. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. I'll send this to you, Jamie, so you could put it up on the... Uh, it looks great. Yeah. yeah, injuries are no joke, you know? Yeah, no, they're no joke. Well, this this guy, too, he's fucking crazy. He's in his 60s. He still spars oh, MMA really? on a regular basis. He's an animal. He's a doctor. He's an yeah. ophthalmologist. Doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> he's, he's always been crazy. He's just, uh, I've known this guy forever. He's the guy who talked me into doing stand-up. This guy's always been an animal. He's just, uh, it's just hard to imagine that that's the I saw you. Wow. Shit. I saw you do stand-up in Sacramento about uh, two years ago, maybe. Oh, where was it at? Maybe three years ago. Um... I don't know. They're asking him. Called like Comedy Store or some shit like oh, that. Oh, that, that cool little upstairs comedy club? Yeah, yeah. That's a good spot. Yeah, the Punchline, right? Yeah, punch there you go. Sacramento. Yeah. Yep. Do you live up there? I Sacramento? do. Yeah, I'm in Sacramento. Do you go to Team Alpha Male and watch those? Uh, you know, I'm friends with those guys. I haven't uh, been over there a whole lot, but I see Uriah around, and I see those guys around a little bit here and there. And He's got a huge, his own gym, huge gym. Okay, give there. it a plug. What's the name of the, the gym? The Super Training Gym, just in uh, West Sacramento. But, uh, but it doesn't matter because it's free. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of weird. It's free? The gym is free. Yeah. How's that work? It doesn't. <laughs> Why do you have a free gym? It's not gym? the smartest business model. It's not my brightest idea. What did, uh, what uh, did the you... gym is free. It's a way for me to um, give back to powerlifting. It's predominantly a powerlifting facility. Um, and I think that if other people had the ability to make their gym free, they probably would do it. And so uh, really? I'm in a position to make it for free. So I did. 
Wow, that's crazy. That's yeah. uh, that's a beautiful thing, man. You never it's, hear that. You usually hear fun. the exact opposite. Well, you know what? Everybody asks uh, for him. Hey, can you train me? Can you train me? He's like, I don't train people. I even do seminars <laughs> and stuff a lot for free. I just did one at uh, Deuces Gym uh, in Venice, um, and then a lot of times I'll do them. Uh, do some down in. Uh, downtown LA at the Barbo Brigade but just if I'm in town somewhere I'll just uh, I'll just I'll email email the uh, owner of the gym and just say hey I'd love to come in and teach your people how to squat or deadlift and they're like okay well what does it cost I'm like it doesn't cost anything that's so just crazy coming yeah. in to fucking do some work what makes you uh, such a generous guy that's you're... Uh, I just uh, kind of have a passion for inspiring people and not so much uh, just instructing them because I think that uh, the main message is to get people moving get people doing shit rather than just saying oh here's how you a squat. lot of this comes you know, from you... uh, people that we looked up to Louis Simmons you know mm -hmm. Louis Sim Pat Militich has a free gym you know I don't know if he still has it but he had a free gym does to, to help people uh, do what you couldn't do when you were younger, you know? that's It's great for, for young folks. There's the fucking knee, and it's all it's cool. And, and you know what, too, is uh, what, what ends up happening is people... Um, <laughs> I'll put up a post on Instagram. It could be of, like, me eating food or some shit, and somebody will say, oh, I got your slingshot, I got your wraps, I got your this, I got your that. Mm -hmm. So it's like people are giving back to me anyway. So it's just... Um, it's just another way for me to give back to the community. And for, like uh, you said, Reebok is, is a brand. Mm -hmm. uh, my company is not. My company is me. And so the, the brand is growing, and sometimes people don't know that I'm associated with it, but nine times out of ten, they do know I'm associated with it. That's awesome, man. That's a, that's a beautiful way of looking at things. I love it. And because of that, like, we were just actually at the coffee bean next door, and these two guys wanted to take a picture with him. They're like, they knew who, you know, people know who he is. Like, from, I saw you on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny. It's YouTube Tons channel. of free videos. YouTube.com backslash supertraining06. Thousands of free videos on there on how to squat, deadlift, bench, that kind of shit. Nice. Now, your new documentary is Prescription Thugs. Absolutely, yeah. And this is based on your experience in getting hooked on pain pills after you had your double hip replacement. Yeah, sort of based on a lot of people's experience. You know, after Bigger, Stronger, Faster, uh, our older brother passed away about eight months after making that movie. And uh, he had a really bad struggle with uh, prescription drugs, mainly painkillers. Uh, and then it went to... You know, Oxycontin, when you could used to, used to be able to crush it up and inject it and all that stuff like that. And he was getting into that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if he was injecting it, but he was definitely snorting it and different things like that. Jeez. And he, my parents, he, lo he loved it all. Yeah, my, anything, my parents found out about it, it, and they were obviously heartbroken and um, helped him helped him get clean for a while. And then, you know, then you go back to it and back and forth and back and forth. And... Um, it's just crazy because he, after he got off all the pills, sort of switched to alcohol, you know, and it was like alcohol and a little bit of everything else, a lot of weed, a lot of alcohol, this, this and that, you know, just things that, uh, that when you're not in the right state of mind or you're depressed, they're not the best things for you, you know, and well, he that's ended what up, he seemed like from the, the yeah, he ended up going down like a really bad, uh, you know, just a bad, a bad spiral, you know, and he was on some, uh, psych meds too, uh, for depression and different things like that. And um, he died in a sober living house with no real, you know, explanation of how he died. And uh, we still don't really know exactly what happened. There was really no drugs found in his system in a toxicology report and stuff like that. So it was just like, to me, something where, uh, you know, this is an epidemic that hit home with me. Uh, after I saw my brother die, I was like, I will never go down that path. And there I am on the floor scrambling, looking for like another Vicodin, you know, going, I must have dropped one somewhere. And uh, just knowing a lot of other people that went through it, I decided to pick up and make a movie about it. Now, your brother in your Bigger, Stronger, Faster seemed like a very troubled guy. Yeah, mad dog, yeah. yeah he struggled yeah. with himself more so than anything else. He was bipolar. 
And so all this stuff sort of just compounded that. And yeah, did, yeah. I think did he when, get a prescription? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but did, did he get a prescription for an injury, or how did he get? Yeah, he was wrestling with uh, WWE. He was sort of, uh, you know, on the going doing uh, doing the rounds. As sort I don't of, know if he got a prescription, but he got drugs. Yeah, yeah, and they they all got drugs. Like, so when did he start wrestling for the WWE? Back in like 1990, like early 90s, mm -hmm. uh, and he wrestled forever. Like he was always on TV. 1992 or so, 93. Something yeah, like that, he was maybe? always on TV, and then he wrestled all the way through. Um, kind of up until he died, like he had some, still some matches, not really with WWE, but with other like smaller federations and stuff like that. So he kind of wrestled for a real long time, but he never really made it. And that was a really big problem for him. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't good enough to be a good coach or a good teacher. He wanted to, he wanted to make it. He wanted to be a big superstar. I also superstar. don't know if he knew exactly what he was chasing. So even if he obtained some of that success i don't think he would have we, even we, recognized it along that's the way a really good point it's a really good point you know, i think a lot, a lot of people, people yeah they, it's hard to get satisfied with certain things and so yeah he was just uh he was troubled he you know the quote that's on the wall in my gym is uh from the film is he says uh, i'd rather be dead than average and that was uh something that he you know he just he couldn't live without um you know, being whatever his ideal for success was. And the, the problem I think that you really just nailed, though, is that they don't know what that is. What's that goal? Yeah. What is that? And if they don't ever reach it, they never feel satisfied. And the thing right. is that he, be, despite all that, he's like the nicest, like, coolest guy in the world and would, would have our backs, you know, on, on everything. Did he have good friends? Yeah, he has crazy well, he emotional. Did, like, he, he here's, really emotional. Here's what everybody has, right? They have good friends, and then they get into drugs, and then they don't have good friends. Yeah. You know? oh, right. So you have a lot of enabling people, a lot of people that will allow you <clears throat> uh, to keep doing what you're doing, a lot of people that will put up with your bullshit. Uh, my father wasn't one of them. You know, my father was somebody who, like, put his foot down and was helping him get clean, and, um, you know, we just weren't able to catch it in time you know and so people that are listening to this i think it's really important to talk about these issues it's just uh you know people want to always kind of push these issues under the rug so if you know someone who's struggling try to your best to reach out to them and just see if you can get to the bottom of the problem i know it's the worst fucking thing in the world to try to approach somebody about it but see if you know whatever you think is a good way of uh, going about doing it and try to reach out to the person because you don't know how much longer they'll be here for it's just so hard to get people to listen to you, though, isn't yeah, it? It's brutal. It is. Yeah, but you know when, you're, when you've been through it, it becomes uh, different. Right. It completely becomes different. Cause, For you. Uh, so I, I went through it. I ended up, um, it's kind of crazy, halfway through this film that I was making, relapsing. And started popping Xanax and all Halfway sorts of other stuff. Through the film on prescription drugs, you start relapsing. Yes. Wow. <laughs> that, that, that's yeah, what how, the fuck, right? <laughs> that's how, the fuck how did that crazy. How, when did you do this film? How long? Um, we finished it. Uh, we finished it for Tribeca Film Festival. So that was like in May. So you you relapsed like a year ago. A, a yeah, year and sober. five months ago. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. And um, I was popping Xanax and stuff like that because you know it's like filmmaking is not an easy business. You know, con like if you were if you didn't have all this other stuff going on, you were just a, a comic and you were trying to make it. It's it's brutal. You know, the ups and downs, and oh, I have an audition for something. Yeah, big, seeing you know? other people be successful can really beat you down. Seeing other people like fly by you that were like way behind you. You know, all these different things that go on in your head. So you feel like that about the documentary world? There's like people that were making some documentaries that would do really well, and you get bummed out. I wouldn't really get bummed out so much about other people. I try to like always stay in my own lane and think about myself, but I get more bummed out putting the pressure on myself. 
Right. Like, you know, so nobody you see else someone is... do real well and you go, God damn it, why am I not doing yeah, really I well? Yeah, I could have done that. Or somebody makes a documentary and then they're like off to the races doing uh-huh. like all these big movies. And, you know, you're like, why, did, why didn't somebody pick me for that? You know, like my documentary d- did way better than that documentary. So, mm. you know, those kind of things in, in your eyes. But just uh, the film world in general, Hollywood in general, it gave me this feeling of inadequacy. Inac- it gave me a feeling like I wasn't good enough. Like everything I did, I wasn't making it. And people go, well, you did this hit movie. It was really big. And I'm like, yeah, but it didn't really make... Uh, money at the box office like it did really which is uh not your original intent like when he made the film he said i want a lot of people to see the movie yeah well, and, what's interesting and tons of people see your language when you say it gave you this feeling of inadequacy but isn't that maybe the way you approached it yourself i mean it seems oh, like I'm it's sure. not giving you anything right yeah, yeah making it up in his own head yeah, yeah, yeah. make it up in your own head yeah you, you feel inadequate you feel like oh man you know i you know and as many as many people tell you that you do good you're still looking for, like you said, you're still searching for that thing. So for me, it was all about finding balance. So when I uh, relapsed and realized I need help, that's uh, I reached out. Uh, I didn't really reach out, like, but once I once I knew I needed help and everybody sort of figured me out, my girlfriend helped me a lot with it. Um, she sort of found me uh, really fucked up one day, uh, drunk and on on Xanax. It was and, the middle um, of the night and. Uh, she called me. I don't really answer my phone a whole lot. Um, I don't respond to it a ton. It rings a lot, and I get a lot of messages and shit, so I'm not really uh, on my phone that much for that kind of stuff. But I noticed the number was odd, and it was probably like about midnight, so I was like, that just seems kind of weird. That's not like a telemarketer, you know, like calling at like 7 p.m. or something. This is something different. And uh, for whatever reason, I didn't have her number uh, in my phone. Um, but it was from like Pennsylvania or something, I think where she's originally from. And, uh, it was Lauren and she said, you know, your brother is blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't understand what she was saying. Cause she was very, very, uh, very sad and uh, crying and stuff. And so I asked her to kind of calm down and, um, kind of assess the situation a little bit. She said, I think your brother's in, in his, uh, apartment. I think he's passed out. Um, I said, well, you're the only one there. You got to kind of go in and you know, see what's, you know, she's like, I don't know how I'm going to find him or, and I was kind of like, whoa, like, what do you mean? You don't know how you're going to find him because I don't, I didn't know how bad the situation was or how serious it was. I did know his friend, his friend called me a few times said, Hey man, you know, your brother's, you know, he's fucking up with some pills and doing this and that here and there. Um, and then, uh, you know, then, then I would communicate with that person again and, and I'd find out that he's doing a little bit better and then he'd be doing a little bit worse. So it kind of went back and forth and, you know, having my other brother die from it, I was like, fuck, man, I don't even, you know, I don't have the energy to fucking go down that road again. You know, I want to reach out to him. I want to talk to him. I do love him. He's a hero and an idol to me in a lot of ways. And uh, I really did want to reach out to him, but I just, you know, didn't know how to fucking bring it up. But, you know, he was really suffering and I didn't really realize how bad it was until she called. And then uh, I got off the phone with her. I just said, you know, take his keys away. Make sure he's okay. Talk to my wife. My wife's fucking awesome. She's super supportive about all this kind of stuff. And she said, we need to fly him here tomorrow. You know, and I said, well, let's fly Lauren here to make sure he gets on the fucking flight, that he's not drinking or taking pills or doing something crazy and he misses his flight. So we flew both of them up. We were able to, able to get him some uh, treatment where he was able to uh, work on starting to recover. It's wow. a nasty path, you know. It's it's. Um, Did you document this in the film? Um, I didn't document all the stuff that went down, like leading up to it. But yeah, the, it's it's in the film. We talk about it for sure. Um, but like I said, it's a it's a nasty path that like it was like a snowball effect. You know what I mean? And looking looking at it now, it's like 
I mean, it's not funny ever, but it's like laughable. Ha- like, what the fuck was I thinking? You know, like, I can see it now from a different point of view. So you said you relapsed on Xanax. So was it just you were having anxiety? No, I, I mean, you don't have anxiety. It's just whatever, you know, you just like to take it because uh, it may, you, you know, you can't sleep. My, my mind is always racing. There's always another idea in the head and there's always, I can't go to sleep. You know, so mm-hmm. um, I've tried the float, you know, the float chambers. I've tried stuff like that. I can't even get my mind to stop thinking a lot of times or so I thought. So I always thought that I needed something, whether it was alcohol, whether it was pills. And I, I realized through the whole journey that all I really needed was uh, to believe in myself again, to believe in who I really was and what I started doing when I started out uh, trying to make films in the first place and tell the truth and be honest. The problem was I couldn't be honest with myself. I had a real hard time being honest with myself, and that's what uh, recovery has, has you know, brought to me. It's, uh, it's amazing to be able to I don't to know sleep. how much he's allowed to talk about the film, but I'll talk about it a little bit. He, uh, yeah, he basically uh, interviewed somebody for the film uh, that ended up helping him. He interviewed this guy, Richard Tate, who uh, owns a treatment center in Malibu. And uh, he, he, for his film, he researched it, and they had like a 95% success rate with people that were there, I think, for over 60 days or something like that, correct? 90 days. Yeah. Nin- 90 days. And he was like, what the fuck? 95% success rate? That's crazy. The whole time I'm interviewing the guy, I'm like, I wish I could come here. I wish I could come here because I knew that yeah. I still had a problem with alcohol. And um, I wasn't really doing Xanax at the time, but like he researched it for himself. He's trying to tell himself he's researching it for the film, but he's researching it's, it. For it's himself. a weird thing, man. You start like looking. So did you did you go to this place? Yeah, I ended up going to Cliffside Malibu uh, for ninety days. So what do they do that's so successful? They just change your life about everything. Well, Richard they, they, Tate was a wild man himself, and he yeah. Came here's the thing. So background. when you have a guy tell you, listen, fourteen years ago I was on my couch smoking crack with a hooker on each side. I was oiled up for some reason, smoking cigars, smoking crack, you know, and sounds like a good time. Yeah, yeah. And hey he said, you know, and he, and he tells you, <laughs> you know, that eight of his friends come and knock on his door and and try to get him sober, and he slams his door the door in his face. And then uh, he's like, you know what? That was rude. He goes back and opens the door. He goes, what day is it? And they said, it's, you know, Friday. And he, he goes, come back on a Monday. And he slams the door. They come back on Monday. Uh, he was like, at that point, just done doing drugs and alcohol. And uh, they took him to treatment. I'm like, man, if this guy can get better. Like, I wasn't doing, I wasn't, you know, you're saying, I wasn't, I wasn't that bad, but. Uh, yeah, I didn't have hookers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> At least I didn't have hookers. When you, when, what did they do for you specifically? Um, like, what is, what is the process of getting someone to the, be, to get 95% of people staying clean? First part is uh, separation from the problem. Uh, just, just being away from drugs and alcohol. I think like AA is a great thing, but for me, if I would have went to an AA meeting, I would have went home and drank that night. I needed to be, for me, I needed to be in a place where I couldn't get drugs isolated. or alcohol. I needed to be isolated from it for like a little while to get away from it. Uh, the main, the main thing was therapy. It's all therapeutic. It's all like group therapy. You go sit in a group with people that are fucked up and you talk about, you know your problems and in a in a good facility they had such good uh counselors there that they these people like it was it was more about like being loved again feeling part of your you know i moved to la uh and i was on my own i moved to la when i was 19 years old from from new york my whole family was back east my brother moved out here eventually my older brother moved out here eventually and eventually my parents moved out here and we do have a but close family too we have a really close family so to be away from your family and this whole time and not feel like any love from the world is is a tough thing you know like a lot of people don't really express that you know it might sound kind of wimpy or something like that but it's it's true you know, there was no 
uh, feeling of comfort or safety or uh, security in anything that I that I did. So like regaining that through being around people with like-minded experiences. And there's just some counselors there that will break you. You know, there, there's people that go there, hardcore heroin addicts that like will sit there in, in group therapy and not want to be analyzed, you know? And these guys will break them down until they're, you know, punching pillows and shit saying, this is my father and that you fucking piece of shit, you know? <laughs> like, that's how it goes. It's like, it's a really intense uh, therapeutic thing uh, that allows you uh, to see yourself in a different way. And it's a very humbling. The number one thing is I, uh, the number one thing that I had on my side was a desperation to get better. It was one of the fucked up parts of the film, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, was your dad saying that he knew that your older brother was going to die that way. Mm -hmm. And to, to go through that and then to have your brother die that way and then for you to get hooked on pills yourself, that that had to been a, a helpless feeling. Like, well, I, that's why I felt like I couldn't tell anybody. So I went to my parents and I was doing an interview with them and I, I really wanted to tell them, but I was like, you know, I don't know if I can tell them. So early on in the movie... Before I before I had relapsed, I said, hey, listen, I had a problem with this. My mom cries, and she's like, well, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, how am I supposed to tell you? You just lost a son. I'm going to tell you, like, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, next, or you're going to worry about me because I'm not there, you know? What is, if you can try to describe, what is the feeling like when you want to take that shit, when you want to take a pain pill? Like, what what is... There's no feeling. It's a. It's it's not. It's not the addict's fault. Like you might have, you know, friends or people that you know that. Why don't they just wake up and stop drinking? Well, you can't. It's not your fault anymore. It's a. It's a pathway, a neurological pathway. You just talked about uh, before Brock Lesnar. Somebody got a hold of him and built those punches and kicks into his system. Right. It becomes ingrained and built in your system. It becomes a neurological pathway in your brain, and you tend to habituate the things that make you feel good. You know, so that's just something that an addict will do more so than other people. Other you're, you're saying that like this is a very distinct black and white thing that it's not the, the, the addict's fault. But the addict has to be sober first before they can get fucked up, right? So you're sober. Sure. So if you're sober, you have a conscious mind, you're aware of your actions, and you decide to take a pain pill. How is that not the addict's fault? If you're already addicted, it's it's an automatic thing. Your body feels like it needs it. Okay, but so, you weren't addicted, right? Maybe because you never got actual oh, treatment. How, how do you get addicted in the first place? No, but you weren't because you were off of it for a long time, right? Yeah. So it wasn't yeah, like you a, had this a, mad need, like your bones were aching. You had to get that. I think uh, you, you switched to alcohol, I think is kind of the part that you're... Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I switched to alcohol, like, instead of having pills. So I always had something. So you get the double hip replacement. So you, you, so you, you did your documentary, Bigger, Stronger, Faster. It was 2008? Yeah. Right. So right after that, 2009? Like, yeah. when are you talking about you're your getting your hip replacement? Yeah, 2009. Okay, six years ago. Mm -hmm. And then how you get off the shit. Our 2007, I actually got it replaced. I got it done before we finished the movie. Okay, okay. Oh, you did? 2007. Okay, but, so then, but then I didn't mention this. So then I had um, my hip. They said I said they had complications. I ha they had to redo my hip. Oh. So two years later, they redid it in 2009. They Ooh. redid my right hip. They completely took it out and, and put it back together. Oh, my God. Um, they unscrew it? Well, there's some messed up parts in there, you know. But they have to unscrew that thing that I don't, digs I, I into think, the bone. I think they left that. I think that was fine. I think it's the other part oh. that was messed up. And then a month after I had that hip surgery, my brother died. 
man. You know, and it's like just tough. It's just you know, it's like you can you can power through that stuff if you have the tools. But I didn't have any tools to stay sober. All right, let me ask you this. So you you get the hip replacement surgery the first time, then you get hooked on pills, then you get off pills, but two years later, they want to reopen you up. Do you take pills again? Yeah, I got back on pills. For how long? Um, about another two years. And oh then and then what happened was, so then I went- Two I, fucking years? Yeah. So then I went back to, uh, to try to get off the pills. Like, I knew I needed to get off the pills. How long were you on them for the first time? The first time when you had the first problem? Uh, I was on them almost. I was on them for like a year, and then I got off of them. Uh, for how long? But I only got off them for a couple months, and I had the second surgery again. Oh, so it was a really so like up and just down. Just gotten off of them. Yeah, it's a really up and down thing. So there's a drug called Suboxone, and Suboxone sort of uh, mimics the way that a painkiller will feel in your body, uh, but it doesn't have. Well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't get you high. It'll just basically make you not feel sick. So that's a, the biggest problem is withdrawals. You feel so bad. It's like the flu times 100. So the thing is that when you're coming off them and you want to get on Suboxone, so my, my insurance would cover all the pills. So there was 10 bucks a pop, for, you know, 10 bucks for like 180 pills of, of uh, Percocet or Vicodin or whatever the, the drug I was taking. When I wanted to get off of them, I had to consult with a doctor every month for $250, and I had to pay about $225 to $250 for the drug, and insurance doesn't cover any of that. They don't cover you getting better. They only cover you doing the dangerous drugs. Wow. So that's another brutal thing on top of it, you know, and then Suboxone. Why, why do you think that is? Do you think that's built into the system to yeah, make it's sure built, that they sell more drugs? It's built into the system so that you that's, don't... That's a scary thought if that's true. Yeah. That all, they all actually this stuff is, have... I mean, like, if you look at it, if you want to, it's like, you know, like, yes, if you take painkillers, it's your fault uh, for getting addicted, kind of. But if you actually look at the history of Oxycontin, that drug was designed to hook people on what's basically very similar to heroin. You know, it's it's a it, the drug company that made it Purdue that made it Purdue uh, Pharmaceuticals. They they lied. They you know, they, they made eight billion dollars on this drug. Right, eight billion dollars, and then they had to pay a fine of two billion dollars. So, like, look at the profit; still six billion dollars. They call it the price of doing business, you know. So they lied and said that you will not get addicted using this drug. Well, they got the whole country addicted to this drug, you know. Those, those people should all be in prison. They got the whole the whole country addicted to a drug that's made for like severe cancer patients, you know, and th that kind of stuff is is just criminal. And people go like, oh, well, you should have known. It's like most people don't know. That's why we're making a movie to have awareness, you know, for these things. So this is really fresh for you. This is not something that you uh, have overcome a long time ago. No, no, I still go to meetings and I still, you know, stay up on it. I think every day you need to remind yourself that you can go back there. So you're a hundred percent sober now. You don't yeah. fuck with anything. No, nothing. Nothing. So the feeling that you get, like when you when you when you have this this relapse with uh, Xanax. The feeling that you get is it just you just feel helpless like what do you do you feel just pulled to it like what do you um, what's pulling you yeah in? yeah like uh, for example so <laughs> Xanax was a drug that would help me I would drink a lot you know like it, I wasn't because because I was an addict why well, yeah, he'd, he'd kind of drink to the point where you know it was uh, compromising the next day type of thing and then also you ended up in the hospital a couple times from drinking. Yeah, I think I ended I, up with some I, serious I think, bouts of, of drinking, but it wasn't like uh, nobody really knows this. But I went to the, the to the uh, 
urgent care or emergency room, I think 10 times within a matter of like 20 days. What? Yeah, because I go to urgent care and I go get Xanax because I, I had hangovers so bad because I would drink so much, you know, and it was continuous like every day. So for me, it became it became a labor. It became like every day I was like, you know, uh, this cat chasing his tail. Like but I would I, never get better or feel better. At first, you weren't uh, drinking that often, though, right? No, no. At first, it was I mean, like every three days, like or every I, seven I, we days. Grew up, you know, we, we talked about it, powerlifting and, and everything like that. We were sports guys. Like, we were never into drinking. We were never right. into drugs. Like, that wasn't something even on my radar when I did Bigger, Stronger, Faster. I would drink, you know, here and there. Um, but I should have known back then because, like, when I did drink, it was like binge drinking. And that's when you know that you'll probably have a problem somewhere down the road. If you're the guy that drinks and you got the, the guy that drinks once a month, but you get completely hammered, you know that you might have a problem. You know, I wasn't the guy that could ever put it down. So how, what does it feel like to make a documentary about prescription drugs while you're hooked on prescription drugs? Uh, guilty. <laughs> yeah, really guilty the whole time. Like I had raised the money to do it. I was moving forward with it. I had a bunch of people involved. So I'm like, who the fuck do I tell? You know, you're in this weird situation where you're like, I'm a hypocrite, but I can't stop. Would I just stop doing this and pull the plug and I have people working for me, people editing the film? My partner, Greg Young, was there since uh, the very beginning. And he was, you know, he, he knew what was going on, but he didn't know what he's going to do, like pull the plug on his own job. And like he, he didn't he cared about me and wanted to help me, but he didn't know how to help me. You so know? how much of a part of the film does this become? Uh it's it's sort of uh towards towards the end uh it's sort of like in the in the third act of the film you know we sort of uh discuss it and go into it uh we didn't go into a whole lot about recovery because the movie isn't really about that but you know by the end of the movie you know i'm okay and but it took forward. you a whole quarter a whole quarter of a year you know mm. that's crazy they, they take you away from society for a quarter very few people can afford to do that no it's crazy man it's uh, what happened was uh if I, I feel this, I feel almost everybody, if they could unplug from their life for like 30 days, even like 10 days, like, you know, people go on vacation, they still bring their phone, mm -hmm. they still have a lot of people around them that they know. Right. And it's just to be in that environment of solitude is just like an amazing feeling that, um, that go dark. Yeah. Yeah. Going dark. What happened to me was, uh, in the third, the, so you asked how they helped me. And um, I could tell you that I think part of it, a big, huge part of it, uh, they talk about like AA and all these other programs and everything. Everybody talks about a spiritual awakening. So like the third day that I was in rehab, I went and took a shower and it was like, I don't know, four o'clock in the morning or something. I couldn't even, couldn't sleep or anything. And I went in the shower and I just cried for like three hours. The fuck am I doing? I went to USC film school. I went, I did all the right things. I, I, I trained, you know, my whole life. I did everything the right way and I'm fucking blowing it. And that's what got to me. You know, it was myself that got to me. It wasn't, it wasn't anybody else really, you know? Another thing that happened to him in treatment was uh, Cliffside Malibu is beautiful. It's a multi-million dollar facility. It's a, uh, it's really nice. It's in fucking Malibu, California, which is beautiful. Um, but I think once you were there for like two weeks, they took you away from there and threw you in some shithole, right? Yeah, what happened was, uh, <laughs> so I was there for... I personally think it's all part of the plan, but I don't know. Yeah, I was there for 10 days. And um, and after 10 days, uh, I was being helped by the facility. They, they, were, they were funding it. They were helping me. So um, since they were helping me out because I was part of this movie and the guy just had compassion for me, Richard Tate, and wanted to see me get better. The guy was suspicious that you had a problem 
when you yeah. came there the first time to interview him anyway, right? Exactly. And so, so he said to me, we can't afford to keep you here anymore. It's 60 grand a month to go to that place. Jesus you, Christ. A lot of insurance covers it, you know, and what? different things like that. Yeah. Insurance covers that? Yep. Depends on your it's insurance. It's a double scam. So it's the fucking insurance covers that. They make a little yeah. Business, yeah. Business. yeah, it's all you part of the pills. system. It's all part of the system. What do you need suboxone? Oh, I don't have any money for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, it's, bro. It's hard to come up with that money. Yeah. I don't have any money for that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, but but they have the money for the treatment and everything. So, so anyway, they throw you in this place that's not so good? So what happened was I went to a place called Claire Foundation. It's in Santa Monica, and it's, like, very industrial. It's a, it's a government-run rehab facility uh and it, it's I, I mean i walked in there and uh saw this guy with no teeth and he's like scratching his nuts and he's like you're not gonna like it in here the pillows are really tough you know I, and i walk in and i'm like where the fuck do you sleep in here and i'm looking and there's all these bunk beds i'm like well where's my room and i'm like no there is no room it's one big room with 40 bunk beds and 40 grown men and 39 of them just got out of jail and you're the only one that's normal kind of you know it was, it was sort of a facility like that where it was just uh something out of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest <laughs> and when they put me in there that was like fuck this man this <laughs> you know I, I know like a lot of addicts will say like i'm not like that or i'm not like this this was something that was so far-fetched from where i would ever find myself in my life so far down that I was like, fuck this, I'm getting out of here and this is it. I'm never gonna drink or do a drug again. And you know, hopefully, hopefully you can stick to that, you know. Um, but I don't have any urges to anymore. But it was that facility that um that really cemented it. You know, after So then that's only ten days. So why did you I was in that facility for nineteen days and it was like about ten days in. Ten days in so and 10 then days nineteen in Malibu, days there. Nineteen days there. And then and then and then when I got when they had room for me back at Cliffside and it ended up going back to Malibu and like living out the rest of it in Malibu. And what was really nice about that was I was still able to work. So I was going to treatment every day for three hours in the morning and then I would drive to like LA and I would, I would work on the movie the rest of the time. Wow. wow. It's pretty twisted, but it all worked out, you know? So, but you, you pretty much feel like you were done after you went to that shithole, right? Yeah, but you just felt like you needed more treatment to cement it. Is like, what's the thought process? Man, you know, like, uh, it's hard. It's hard to explain to people that haven't been through it. Um, people have been through it. They they know what it's like. Uh, but addiction addiction is one of the most powerful forces in this universe. It's one of it's it's something that um, drives people every day to do bad shit. You know, and you need, uh, um, continued support, right? Yeah, you basically just need, yeah, you know, basically, like, um, a lot of it's set off by trauma, like, things that happened in your life, a lot of it's, uh, you know, but I didn't really have that, like, one main trauma that, like, set it off. People go, oh, well, your brother died. And I'm like, well, that was, it wasn't as traumatic as it sounds. Like, it, of course it's uh, traumatic, but but I was I was doing stuff before that. So what was before that? I don't even know. Maybe the hip surgery didn't seem to me. I think a big part of it for me was having the hip surgery took away something that I really loved, which was like lifting. You know, something that like if you couldn't fight anymore, you'd fucking hate it. You know, you'd be like bummed, yeah, you'd be you grumpy know? because it was a part of you just in your everyday life. And now it was gone. Yeah. And it might sound stupid, but it's part of it's something that you do. You know, right. If I said, hey, Joe, you know what? No more fighting, bro. You're done. So you just felt like a, just a giant loss. You just felt like something yeah. was missing from your life. And that's what led you to just start getting fucked up. Yeah, fill it in with other stuff, you know? Wow. And you didn't think about maybe like trying something healthy and trying to like engineer 
your life in some it's, sort of a way or you do something Okay, positive. so when you take away working out, what's healthy? Well, you couldn't do any working out? Not, I mean, not a whole lot. Not not like I used to. And now, for now, how long? I mean, just, just for like years, I just, I just felt shitty. You know, I just didn't feel good. Um, because of the hips? Yeah. Yeah. I think he also felt lonely too. I mean, you know, he he, he didn't have her uh, until kind of more recently, and um, even though our family is in California, you know, I I have two children, so our parents uh, moved uh, to this side. They were from New York originally. They moved to California, but we all live in Northern California. And when it came to like holidays and some different things, I mean, we'd call him and communicate with him a little bit here and there. But you know, he he kind of just seemed like he didn't give a fuck. Are about... you still in upstate New York? No, I live no, he's in L.A. You're yeah. here too. Yeah, he's okay. in L.A. Yeah. Yeah, so he was only in L.A. and we were in Sacramento, but um, it wasn't, you know, not that far. It's a one-hour flight or whatever, but we'd communicate with him here and there and just, you know, even like on his birthday or something, call him or whatever the case might be. Um, and then he'd come up to Sacramento or I'd come down here and we'd meet up with each other here or there. But we just didn't really realize how severe the situation was in terms of just his, like, mental health, you know. Um, it, it's just, like, not a dude thing to do. Like, hey, man, how you doing? And like, somebody doesn't just, like, pour out their fucking feelings. They're like, oh, I'm doing good, you know, and they just leave it at that and you kind of move on to the next thing. And I, I have people that are in my film that have relapsed, you know, since the film. Um, and I have people that I have a, a guy who uh, I had to get a release for the film. Like somehow somebody slipped up and didn't didn't get a release for the film. And um, just like this is like two days ago, I have a guy who who relapsed and he's all fucked up. We're trying to get a release of the film. We can't even get in touch with him. So I had to send somebody to his house, and then we find out that he's relapsed and he's a mess and he needs treatment too. So it's like this. It's a dangerous, powerful thing. And and part of the whole program is helping other people and i think it's beautiful it's like the, the thing now is like how do i help other people how do i help people will listen to this show and they will hit me up on facebook and they'll say listen man i'm an alcoholic i'm a drug addict, drug addict what do i do and the beauty is i don't have to do it for them i can just lead them in the right direction and help guide them to treatment and be there for them the people that run these treatment centers must they must feel like they're like combating vampires or something like it's <laughs> like everyone is just getting bitten and, yeah. and, and sick it's yeah. it's incredible the, sick the is a numbers. Good, sick is a good way of putting it, you know? Like yeah. when somebody has something like that, you kind of feel like they have cancer or something. You don't know yeah. how to help them. I think um, a lot of people just think like, oh, I can help them. Like, hey, if we go like work out together, if we hang out together, if we go eat together, like that shit will be fun and like take his mind off it. But it doesn't work that way. As soon as you get you back professional home, you turn back in the... Well, I and think also the vampire. Yeah, I mean, and looking at it, people go, oh, it's not a sickness. It's your own fucking fault. It's your own personal... Take all that away. Well, what's going on? Someone's got some shit in their veins that they need to keep pumping into their body. It's right. like sick. It is like sick. You know what? All those same people that say it's not a sickness and it's not a, like a, a lot of those people will fall into it too. You know, like so. Well, that's what's fucked up about it. How many people yeah. fall into it? I've had a lot of friends get hooked on yeah. pills. Chris Lieben's in my movie. Is he? Yeah. Yeah, he's had some issues. Yep. And yeah. he's had some issues recently. I just spoke to him um, a couple of days ago, and he's he's on uh, back on the Suboxone again. Um, and, and it's hard to get off of that shit. Like, it's really hard to get off. And it's like Suboxone is a maintenance drug to keep him going back to, from doing to doing the oxys. But it's just, it's just something that, like, he's going to have to battle and fight every day to get off. What know? are the numbers? Like, how many people in this country are addicted to pain pills? I think it's like 2.0 something million couple two holy you know. shit Fucking yeah well and then just how many people are just Jesus. on pills period i mean i know some people uh some of the you know obviously some of the pharmaceutical drugs so can be beneficial you want a, but you want a number Hold on, that's a real number you want two, a number two million people are hooked on pain pills yeah 
Okay, fucking so, people walking around so like zombies. Say, say you had an idea to help people. <laughs> Holy shit. I'm just freaking out. For, give me uh, a second you... here. <laughs> I can't believe that's real. Two million people are hooked on that shit? Yeah. That's like a national epidemic. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's almost 1% of the population of the country. So la last year, I What's think... What's the country? Um, 300 million people? I think so, two, yeah. that's two. That's... that's God damn it. Two million fucking people. <laughs> yeah. Three million um, people is 1%. I mean, I think it's a little... Yeah. In 2012, like That's uh, crazy. 254 uh, million, 254 million um, prescriptions were written for Vicodin. Holy fuck. So that that's en that's enough to medicate. Wait, say that again. Say that number two, again. 254 million uh, prescriptions for Vicodin were written uh, in like last year or the year before, and that's enough drugs. That's enough painkillers to medicate every male or every every adult person in America for a month so what yeah 254 million here's another another Two, step hold on. for you. 254 million prescriptions were filled is that the idea yeah, yeah for for painkillers how does that even make sense is that in a whole year in a whole year okay. because people get several you right know, so they get you like get 90 one, pills or you get 100 one, pills yeah, a lot or, of times it's like once a month you know they, they a lot get of times pills. Uh, with stuff like that you only get like 10 at a time though too yeah well here's another step for you so if you if you wanted to do something about it and you're a congressman Right, and you're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna do something about this epidemic. And then there's four hundred and forty-five thousand dollars sitting on your table. I can either take that money from lobbyists because, on average, that's how much money the lobbyist will take. On average, there's a certain amount of number of people in Congress and a certain amount of money that's spent. So if you average it out, it comes out to like over four hundred thousand dollars per congressman that they use for their campaigns and everything else. So you can either take that money and just say, you know what, everything's cool, you know, or you can take that money and try to fight them and risk losing that money out of your campaign. So all these special interests and all these different things that people talk about all the time, uh, pharmaceuticals is one of the biggest ones. They're one of the biggest contributors to these campaigns. So people don't really have a vested interest to stop it. They have no interest, right? I mean, right. this that's an Any if they were trying to fight it, if they fought it with that little amount of money, it wouldn't even fucking work. Yeah, well, how? What amount of money would be effective? Yeah, it billions. seems like it's so intense. What's really fucked up is this: this shit didn't even exist fifty years ago. Right. That's what's really fucked up. It didn't really exist, you know, twenty years ago. Well, how nuts is that? Yeah. Well, something so well. Twenty years ago, they did have quaaludes. Yeah, different things. Right, right. That's the big Bill Cosby drug, right? Yeah. Isn't right. That his thing, quaaludes. Right. But are they as addictive? They were a completely different thing from what I what I understand. You so know? This is just a total new level of addictive properties, right? Yeah. It's, uh, so if you if you look at um, okay, so we you have um, drugs like morphine, right? Morphine and heroin are like really closely related. You can make one out of the other, right? Uh, but on the other side, they they now make them synthetically. So this shit doesn't even require. They it's just chemical upon chemical upon chemical. It doesn't require any sort of uh, base. It, you don't re, you don't need opium to make it. You need opium to make morphine, but you don't need it to make oxycotton. So they figured out a way to make these things synthetically, so that they can just. You no, know. I don't understand that. Well, how does that work? I like, don't synthetically? Like, where are they getting the raw properties? <laughs> yeah, they make it in a lab, they... but I don't know what the fuck they make it from. But like, they yeah. gotta can't make something out of nothing. Physically it's impossible. Just, right? That's why I always understood, did understand. Like everyone said, well, yeah, Afghanistan produces you know ninety whatever percent of the world's opium and heroin. Right. Yeah. Well, but what about pills? 
if it's if it's synthetic opium or synthetic heroin, what are they getting it from? Afghanistan? Is that they, what they're I don't doing? know. They figured out ways, special way, you know, ways to uh, make it out of other things that are like normal bases and change the chemical makeups of them somehow. I don't know exactly. We're, we're too how stupid works. for this conversation, aren't yeah, we? we? Yeah, they're yeah. called. Oh, so there, there's opiates. People goes, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, he's on opiates, but that's not really true unless he's on morphine. They're on opioids, which are synthetic. Kind of like steroids. Steroids, opioids. See all the bad oids. Oh, all the, about oids. the oids. Hemorrhoids. How strange, man, that we live in a world where 200 million prescriptions for super highly addictive pain pills get, right. get prescribed in a year. And we're supposed to well, be like an educated country. And, and, stuff and you too. think that like that's an epidemic. <laughs> well, and you, look, you look at what we're prescribing to the kids. We're giving kids, you know, speed. Adderall. We're giving yeah. Adderall, Ritalin, and that's, you know, 5 million prescriptions written for that for kids every year, you know. Whoa. Just keeps going up and up and up. It seems so easy to get shit, too. It I had a mom. So I had a mo I have a mom in my film, and she has a daughter that has uh, ADHD, and so she brings her to the, you know, psychiatrist or whatever, and they prescribe her ADHD pills, you know, uh, Adderall, and the mom starts taking it. And then the mom convinces the daughter she doesn't have ADHD and she shouldn't take it. So then the mom starts taking the other kids. There's three other kids. She took all her kids to the doctor and got like four prescriptions every month and was taking like tons of Adderall. She'd take like 10 a day. I bet that bitch got a lot done. Yeah. <laughs> House yeah. is clean. 2010, every American adult, every four hours for one month. It says every prescription painkiller were prescribed to medicate every American adult for every four hours. What do you mean? What does that mean? You can't see that line. Well, why don't you make it so I can see it? It's a uh, it's Here's a, sorry. Oh, it's like, it's like, invisible. oh, it's, yeah, it's like a uh, bad, there's the, there's the text of it. Okay. In 2010, enough prescription painkillers were just prescribed to medicate every American adult every four hours for a month. I wasn't lying. Jesus <laughs> Christ. So, so that's abusers. like three, three pills a day or something. That's right? abusers. That's 2010. Now, has it gotten better or worse in five years? Well, but either way, you know, that you number's know, you insane. Know what's, uh, when I talked about uh, Purdue Pharmaceuticals and Oxycontin and how that invaded America and all that stuff like that, if you look at it, uh, the government at some certain point you know, got fed up with it and they said, listen, people are dying, right? So it's cool that you guys are selling all these drugs and everything. We'll take your lobby money, but people are dying. So you can't take this drug. You gotta make a way that you can't take it and crush it up anymore and inject it or snort it or do other things with it recreationally. So it, now if you crush Oxycontin, it turns into a gel. It turns into like a mush. So uh, what they did, what after, That's I mean, insane. What, what happened <laughs> after they not. figured out how you couldn't crush it and snort it anymore, once they did that, the sales dropped 80%. Holy fuck. So what does that tell you? What? 80%? Just shows you every, anything is possible with money, though. How the fuck did they figure out a way that if you crush it up, it turns into a gel? I don't but, know. But the how, fuck does that even mean? It's amazing that someone talked them into doing that. Right. And then they dropped 80% of their profits and they stuck with it. Yeah. They're probably fucking scrambling well, they, for studies <laughs> to show that that gel is less effective. They, they, find, they find other... We need to know, go back to the pills. But here's the problem. <laughs> There's no other way. Here's the problem with uh, a study, right? So everybody wants to think that they read the studies and the studies are good and the studies are valid. And, you know, what happens is you need two studies that prove that your pill is more effective than a placebo. Not, affected, not more effective than anything that's on the market. Just more effective than a placebo to get your drug passed. 
So it takes it costs a lot of money and a lot of like money through the FDA and a lot of testing and all these things, but it's still not very hard to get a drug passed. They just passed one called Zyhydro, Zyhydro and it's like way, it's pow- more powerful than Oxycontin. So now there's another drug on the market that's you know more powerful. Who are these fucking monsters? <laughs> How do we get the, some of that shit? Yeah. <laughs> who, who are these monsters that are making this stuff? They, like, does anybody need something stronger than Oxycontin? Is this some fucking rallying cry? For you know stronger what? pain pills? <laughs> talk for, you talk about, like, uh, medical uh-huh. marijuana. I talked to a, a senator about medical marijuana. He's like, medical marijuana is not killing anybody. You anybody, know, and I'm like, exactly. Ever. So so is that something that's, uh, you know, good or bad? You know, and, and we look at it and go, like, man, like, it's, it's crazy what we could do with a plant compared to what's happening with, uh, you know, What's happening with these pills? I don't know anybody. I, I know maybe one or two people that have ruined their life, you know, with pot just because they're fucking lazy. But beyond, beyond that, beyond the scope of that, it seems to be very helpful for so many people. Yeah, my point of view has always been that if you if pot ruins your life just because pot got there first, it yeah, exactly. Cheeseburgers or scratch tickets or the fucking Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses, whoever gets to your Look, house man, first. Man, alcohol yeah. is the fucking worst. Alcohol is the devil if you it's do one if, of you, them. if you uh, indulge in it. You know? Yeah. Or, you know, you don't have the gene for it or whatever it is, and that's not the worst. You just have a drink, and then you don't want to have a drink anymore. Yeah. Like, I've never had the urge to drink. I I like a drink every now and then, but I've never had the urge. Yeah, he's the same way. But I have friends who have it, and I see it. It hits them, and it's like a blanket goes over their eyelids. It's like they they vanish. It's like they're not there anymore. And then there's some new persons there. And those are the people that you know are going to eventually have a problem if they don't already. If they don't already. Yeah, I, I definitely have known a lot of alcoholics, and I know a lot of people, like more more than half a dozen people whose lives have been wrecked by pills. Yeah. They just, usually a back injury, you know, something along yeah. those lines, and then they, they take something, and the next thing you know, they can't get off it. It's very innocent. You know, it's mm-hmm. not uh, it's not something that's, uh, but, but it turns somebody who can be a great person into somebody who lies, cheats, and steals, and that's what's wrong with it. You know, the pills... Yeah, I always just used to think like, well, if I could just be on these forever, because I still have a lot of pain in my back and my hips and like not in the hips necessarily, but like in the lower back because of the hips were messed up and because of my knees are messed up and still have a lot of pain. But I know that what happens with the pain pills are it's diminishing returns. Like after a while, I'll need, you know, for a while I, was, I had to take 12 Percocets a day. What? Just to maintain the, the pain, you know, the pain level that I that I used to. How many and, hours do you awake? Yeah, like well, you know, what's uh, the other thing keeps you awake all day. Percocets keep you awake. Yeah, really? you know, some some people that go to sleep and some people stay awake all day. I would stay awake all day, but after a while, I get up to taking like twenty, right? And I thought twenty a day. Okay, so I thought that was bad. It's a my, PR. My yeah, it's a <laughs> PR. My friend in the movie, I said to him, he's in he was in WWE, he's a wrestler, Luther Reigns. He's I said, how many were you taking a day? He goes ninety, and. He would say, I'd get up in the morning, my girlfriend would lay him out all out. It'd be like, you know, 10 Vicodin, 10 Soma. You know, so he was taking muscle relaxers, painkillers. He said, I even take uh, Viagra and Cialis every morning with my vitamins. I'm like, what do you take that for? He said, just to be ready. You know, is this well, because... He sounds like an asshole. Well, we're, <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're in like... He's a, the coolest fucking guy ever. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. He's amazing. Just no, he's got some, ready. He's got some great stories. But Pain I'm saying... pilled up with a giant hard dick. <laughs> yeah. So, so he tells me... A vampire he, with a boner. At the time, he lived in Phoenix. And in Phoenix, they have uh, cameras, you know, mm-hmm. on, the, uh, on the freeway. 
And uh, he was on, you know, Soma makes you go to sleep. It's a muscle relaxer. It makes you go to sleep. So he said he gets a ticket in the mail. He's like, what the fuck is this ticket? I never got a ticket. Driving asleep? He, he opens up the ticket, and there's a plane his day. He's fucking passed out. Speedy. And he's driving in his, in his Corvette going, you know, 95 and a 65. Asleep. Asleep. He got the ticket. He's like, Jesus oh. fucking Christ. <laughs> I wonder if you get a ticket for being asleep, oh too. God. <laughs> I don't think everybody what's, what's going on with him now? Uh, he had a massive, massive stroke. Um, he had a cardiac uh, arrhythmia. Or, um, I don't know what you call that. Uh, he had something wrong with his, with his heart to begin with. Uh, all the pills and sort of living, living the, the tough life because he did a lot of illegal drugs, too. Uh, he had a stroke. Illegal drugs? He did like what? He did like coke and everything Prescription else and on yeah. top of it, right? So, oh um, but what happens is like he he was getting them on the black market. He said he used to get them a thousand at a time, <gasps> you know, big big bottles. <gasps> yeah, a thousand. Yeah. Oh my god. They told me he was selling, you know, selling, only... selling. Uh, he had a customer that was buying them at twenty eight thousand dollars like a week. <laughs> So he he had to get massive massive amounts. So he was like dealing them and goddamn twenty eight thousand dollars worth of pills. You need a, a fucking forklift for that. Selling shit. them to guys in the NFL, <laughs> you know, selling them to the oh Phoenix Cardinals. God, that's insane. Yeah. Well, wasn't uh, wasn't Rush Limbaugh taking like ninety a day? Yeah, I think I so. He was yeah. taking a lot. Yeah. Well, anyway, so my friend uh, Luther Reigns, he ended up uh, he had a massive stroke, and uh, now he's actually uh, for somehow. So when when you have withdrawals from painkillers it feels like you're gonna die. And so when he had this stroke, they said, get his mother here. He's not gonna make it through this and we can't pump him full, enough, full of enough drugs for him to get through this. He's, gonna, he's probably not gonna make it. Somehow, miraculously, the part of the, uh, the brain that is, his, like 30% of his brain got killed during the stroke. Part of the brain that got killed was the part that was responsible for feeling withdrawals. <laughs> so somehow he fucking dodged a bullet. We call him the bulletproof bad boy. Oh my somehow he gosh. dodged a bullet. He's alive. He has no more hangovers. He's completely sober, and he goes around and talks to kids and churches and, and things like that. So he's doing great work, you know. Now. So he lost thirty percent of his brain. Yeah, but somehow he's still uh, cognitive. He's still, you know, he's still there. He's jacked. I mean, he's still. <laughs> <laughs> so he's on steroids. Yeah. yeah. So she's oh, fucking Christ. I don't so know. He's off, Maybe. Oh, duh. He might be. He's, he's so got to be on something, yeah. So he's off the pain pills, on steroids, and helping out kids. Yeah, there you go. What the fuck kind of a world we live in? I love that one day we were eating with him. Uh, that uh, We were grabbing a burger or something, and he's, he's got this fanny pack on. He's, like, pulling stuff out. He's trying to find his, like, money, you know? He's like, oh, I'll pay for it, bro. And he's, <laughs> and he's, like, moving in slow motion. He's fucking drooling. I'm like, this guy's amazing. What is going on with this guy? <laughs> he's putting all these, like, different bottles of pills, like, on the table. He's got, like, Viagra and a bunch of other shit. And, he carries a bottle with him? Yeah, and then he put, like... <laughs> in his fanny pack. Yeah, well, there's Bob tolls the many bottles and then he puts down like a little bag like a clear bag of something and he's like he looks at it and he grabs his money clip and he puts his money on the table and he looks at the clear bag he's like whoops and he puts that back whatever the fuck that was that was like that wasn't okay for him to put on the table <laughs> everything else was fine for some reason he's like whoops <laughs> it's a big old stack of cash. That's so crazy. Oh yeah, he's. Oh my god. I was like, dude, what if you get like your pills mixed up? Like you're just running a ton of fucking Viagra and shit. Like, what are you, what are you 
doing? Maybe when he was passed out in the car, maybe he was driving with his dick. Yeah, maybe his dick it's was amazing. so hard there was no blood in his brain. It's amazing now though, because he was, you know, he was dating a porn star for a long time, and like, so now he he's like a born porn star. To your fucking movie premiere, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, bigger, stronger, faster. He brought two porn There's stars. There's two chicks making out right behind my parents. I was like the oh. weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. What, a, what a good guy. Oh, he's awesome. He's a lot of fun. So then, so then he'll be going, now that he's a born-again Christian, he'll be like telling me, look, look, bro, now that you're sober, now you need God. And he'll be like, look at this chick's tits that just text me. It's like, right, uh, you know, it's like such a contra walking, uh, walking contradiction. He's hilarious. Now. So what, if anything, can be done about this crazy prescription drug crisis? Because it seems like when you're, when you're talking about millions of people that are on it was the number eight million people abuse it every year eight million people what is that is that like three percent of the population of the country somewhere around there that's pretty big what's you the know, country we, listen we 300 million people right so nine would be three percent right jesus christ 8.76 million in 2010 so what is it? In, it oh, might, I wonder it, uh, what percentage of people are adults. Yeah, it might literally be three percent of the population of the yeah. whole country is fucked up on prescription pain pills. Well, here's the deal yeah. too. Like we wow. represent, we only represent five percent of the entire world's population. We consume seventy-five to eighty-five percent of the world's prescription drugs. That's a lot of drugs. Well, that's because like, we're America and we do it big. Yeah. Everything we do, America. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to see like what what can be uh, done about it. Um, first of all, like just ban advertising on TV for drugs because that just creates an environment where people go into the doctor and tell them what they have. Right. A doctor is a fucking doctor. A doctor went to school. All you did, all you did was watch a commercial, you know, that's advertised. Do you have toenail fungus or, you know, right. all these stupid uh, things. So that creates a drug culture, an idea that there's a pill for everything. And I think that that idea is an idea that needs it to just go away. You know, mm. there's not, there is a pill for everything, but let's not think that way. Let's Are think you of tired? Other... Are you sad? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. yeah. Let's talk about me. Well, yeah. and that's, yeah. that's one thing, but I th think also just like education is the most important thing that we can have for anything, whether it's steroids, whether it's prescription drugs. Yeah, but you say that, you say that, but yeah, you were educated. You, you knew the, all the pitfalls. You had a brother who died of it. You had been hooked on it yourself. You've been doing a documentary about all the, all the different components of addiction, of, of selling these pills, and yet you still got sucked into the web. Yeah, exactly. That's how powerful it is. So that's so crazy because you you but you are about as educated about it as a person can be. I think now I am. But back then, when you were making the documentary, don't you think you were way more educated? Yeah, than the I was. Person? I was. I was way more um, educated. I was already already susceptible to it. Um, I was already. I had already been in. You know what I mean. Mm. So that that's a tough thing. It's like if you can get get somebody before. Uh, before they ever experience it, that's yeah. that's Are definitely there other uh, warning signs. Maybe before you get to that point of like reaching for a pill. We mean other warning signs, like 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 something that happens before you actually start to take pills or or do drugs. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. There's always sort of gateways, like, drinking and other things. Okay. That, you know that make it right. Mark, what is it like for you to have two brothers that have these pulls, but you don't? My family's fucked up. <laughs> but you, you know, I mean, you obviously like steroids, but I love them. Yeah, they're great. But but you don't have like this self-destructive thing going on like you seem like a real generous guy Right, I mean, you are a real generous guy just with the fact that you have this free gym and right. you do these free seminars And I saw in the in the, the documentary that you really love working with kids and helping right. them out like what is it? Yeah, um, I think um, seeing my older brother um, like um, 
he just like his life was uh his life was really hard and it, he had to like evade stuff and lie and like go through all these crazy things all the time because um, of the pills yeah because of the pills and it, it also put a lot of heartache and stuff on a lot of other people so it sort of made me go the other direction you know like sometimes people have uh, a parent that's uh, an alcoholic or a parent that abuses them and it makes that person go the complete opposite way and then other times you have someone someone who has a parent that's an alcoholic and they end up uh, becoming the same thing I think for me it just made me steer clear of that I just remember like seeing my brother like hide alcohol like in in bushes and shit like that from my parents and lie to my parents and my parents are are as about as awesome a parents as you can have so i was always just like man that just seems like a lot of like extra work to go through even if you told them that you were having a drink they probably wouldn't care not like they would be like hey go for it man they're not going to be like your buddy and have a drink with you but at the same time i don't think our parents would really care especially if they were like in the house they'd probably be like Fuck it, man. I'd rather have you doing it here safe. And I know you're not driving and causing a lot of other problems. So I just saw like a lot of a lot of baggage that came with all that shit. And you didn't see that. I saw it. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely saw it. Uh, like I said, uh, getting the hip. I think the hip replacement thing and getting hooked on pills in a way that seemed to me to be uh, organic. You know, it wasn't like, like my brother started taking pills because he got hurt in wrestling, and then. He, but did he really, you know, it's like, I don't know if he ever got a prescription for it. They were just passed around. They were passed around so much in, in wrestling that it was such a huge problem. So for me, I was like, well, I'm taking them legitimately. And then it just was a snowball legitimately, effect. Because the doctor tells you it's okay. Yeah. It was a real snowball effect. What about you I when also, you got hurt uh, from the squat? When, when you fucked up your ankle and your knee, when you dropped that weight? Did yeah, I had, I had to take a little bit of stuff um, just because it was just unreasonable not to. Like, I just physically could not get up off the couch. You were just in agony. And then I uh, just uh, talked to one of my buddies at the gym. I'm like, dude, like, uh, I was like, I need some stuff so I can fucking move around. So you're just getting it from the gym. I'm in a, yeah, I'm in a lot of that's where you, <laughs> That's where everything comes from. That's so crazy. You guys don't ever go to doctors. <laughs> well, I got to say, like, when I when I talk about the hip surgery, I mean, it felt like my, my right side that they botched. Mm -hmm. For two years, it felt like it was on fire. You know, so I mean, if you're Intense on fire, right. you got to put that out, right? Yeah. So that's, and then by the time you're ready to get off of it, you're just so addicted. Right. I also told my friend though too. I was like, dude, like, I'm gonna come back to you for more. Don't give me. Any. Don't fucking don't give me any more. So give me like an amount that you think is like reasonable. Because my friend, so what he, did you take? Uh, I don't even know. I don't even remember exactly <laughs> what it was. Yeah, whatever it was, it worked pretty good though. <laughs> you just don't know. You just yeah, say, take two or how many did you take? Ah, uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, just take some for a few. Oh my god. Um, I also uh, what also steered me clear of a lot of stuff. Um, at least as I got a little bit older, is I met my wife. Like you know, we've been married for almost fifteen years now, and been together for about seventeen years. And I have children. and I got a lot of responsibility. So like, even if I wanted to get fucked up, like I don't have right. time. I don't have time to like go do it really. Right, and I you, got a lot of obligations. Your brother didn't have any kids. No, no he was married. He didn't he have any married, kids. Yeah. You don't have any kids. Not no kids. Yeah. Wonder if that's it. Wonder if it's a, the responsibility of yeah. having children just keeps you. Yeah, from being just having indulgent. somebody, somebody else in my life that uh, cares about me. Somebody else that's uh, supportive, and you know, she's uh, as much as part of the company's success as I am. So all that uh, definitely plays into it. That's such a the scary number of the 8.76 million people that are abusing it and that being 2010 yeah. and not knowing what it is in 2015. 
That's terrifying to me. That's crazy. The, the idea that we could be in that state and it's sort of like something that flies under the radar for the most part, unless you know somebody, and then you think of that person as an isolated incident. Yeah, you think of that person's crazy or that person's doing it, to, like you said, doing it to themselves. And, you know, you know, like there is definitely personal responsibility in all of this, whether whatever it is. But, um, but at a certain point, when things are so addictive that people don't really know about it or the doctors are just you know handing them out like crazy you know there were for a while a couple of years ago and they shut these all down there were pill mills so you mm -hmm. just they, they call them pill mills they people would come from west virginia drive all the way down to florida just to get pills you know mm -hmm. so my, my friend that we were talking about before luther he just said he would he'd have seven prescriptions and he's like my whole day would be driving around to different different pharmacies picking up different prescriptions now they have this drug database that if you get a prescription from Walgreens, you can't go to Costco and get that prescription. However, nobody really uses it. So we have to get, that's another way to get. Nobody uses it. Yeah, like they have, and plus, you know, the DEA regulates how many of these drugs are made. And there's way more drugs made than are actually needed. So a lot of those fall off the truck and, you know, different things happen where they, they are really? obtained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, is a massive, built into the system? this is a massive, massive, massive money-making system and everybody's on the take what the fuck a lot of money be made and it's killing people like vampires yeah but we have a war on drugs are there really vampires that's a vampire to me that's what i say, in the, movie, I say in, in the film is there really a war on drugs like yeah. no there's a war on some drugs that's yeah. what there's always been right yeah you know? while, while we had uh nancy reagan you know up there saying you know just say no her husband's uh, lifting the bans on big business that allowed the pharmaceutical companies to grow so big. Wow. So this documentary, the, the newest one, um, what takes place in it that you found was shocking? Like what, what, out of this, going through this journey of putting together this documentary, was there anything that shocked you? Yeah, a lot of the numbers, but also um, I interviewed this woman, Gwen Olson. Gwen Olson used to be a pharmaceutical a sales rep that uh, quit when uh, her daughter killed herself on psych meds and um, it's her stories just insane and just meeting somebody who actually worked through the system to, to know that the that people in the pharmaceutical companies get pumped up when they have a new drug coming out that can actually fix the side effects of another drug they already have on the market and they're so excited because they know how much money they're going to make off of this it's just like sickening the whole thing is is disgusting and sickening and it's not about health and that's yeah, what i her really learned story is terrifying that's fucking crazy how does, how does that ever get stopped how does it such a machine that's making so many billions of dollars how do you stop it and how do you level it out you know, I think people that stop taking money from pharmaceutical companies, that's a, a big thing. You know, we have Donald Trump running and half the people are like, oh, God, Donald Trump. But, you know, uh, that's something that's not going to play into his decision making. You know, so if, if people like that, I'm um, not saying him specifically, but people like that to say, you know what, I'm not going to take their money. I don't care what they say. I'm not going to take, you know, it's the same thing with oil or any of these other problems. Like we the way we fix problems is not to bribe congressmen. You know, I think that that's a huge thing, and and a huge thing is for regular, average, everyday citizens to say no to uh, to what's going on and and stop and you know write to their congressman and make a stink. If all this stuff, like people wanted medical marijuana, medical marijuana didn't come about because some congressman said, you know what, I'm going to make this. It took legal. a long time. It took a long time. It took a massive movement of a massive amount of people to say we want this, 
And, uh, you know, if you look at uh, food, for example, uh, everything's sort of going organic. It's easier to find, as hard as it is sometimes to find good food, it's also a lot easier than it used to be. So that's like Costco. Costco's like all going organic now because people want it. So if people want, you know, a drug-free society, a society where their kids aren't dying and killing each other over drugs, a society where people can live in peace and harmony and not have their families ruined by these problems, they can they can basically start that front, you know, just like they did with all these other things. It's a groundswell, you know, it's like something that has to start. It's just, I just don't know how you would ever stop that amount of money. Yeah. It seems like the, the amount of money is so fucking terrifying and that these companies can just live with themselves. It's, it's so bizarre that they can justify the production of these fucking pills when they know that 9 million people, or whatever the number is, are abusing them just yeah. in this country alone. A massive amount of, of the drugs on the market, pharmaceuticals, you know, they don't even work. You know, they, they have been proven, they, they're not proven effective. The psych meds that we put, put our kids on were never tested on kids. So if it's not tested on a kid, don't give it to my kid. That's what people need to start saying. But people say, you know what? It's easier for me to, I put my kid on, everybody wants to make the exception. Every parent I talk to says, yeah, yeah, but my kid's different because I put him on Adderall and now he's fine rather than to search out all the other, yeah. all the other options. I yeah. think people want to try to solve stuff with money or with, um, or with a pill rather than with their time. You know, that's a big, big issue. If your child has, you know, trouble in school, maybe, maybe your kid just has trouble in school. I fucking sucked in school. It doesn't. It doesn't really. Uh, each person's going to have their own different thing. They're going to be good and bad at it. You don't necessarily need a pill to try to solve that problem all the time. Yeah, and school is fucking gross. Yeah. The idea of sitting in a classroom, especially <laughs> with some fucking teacher that's right. unmotivated, and you sit there and you're just supposed to absorb for just these fucking numbers. hours on end. There's a lot of day. people that's just they're not designed for that. Yet they would thrive doing something in life. Right. They just have to figure out what that something is. Right. They can. They can absolutely contribute. And just not care about geometry or not care <laughs> right. about history or not care about whatever it is that's uninspired sometimes it's the, the the teacher some teachers get you excited about anything you know yeah, they're, they're like true. fun to be around yeah creativity is more important than knowledge so, it's like albert einstein yeah. right and that's it's that's like with Kennedy. him you know he was always uh had trouble in school learning disabled had a, diagnosed with all these learning disabled put in a class with the kid that the kids that eat glue and all that stuff like the typical case of that you know and he's become you know, very successful off of uh, passion. Yeah, if you just find what it is you're really good at. I mean, there's just people have different personalities and there's different occupations. You just got to figure out what works for you. But the, all that aside, it's just the, the the sheer numbers of the drugs is what's freaking me out in yeah. this conversation. This it almost seems like like some crazy plague that <laughs> yeah. no one's talking about. Like, yeah, like it, a disease, like a disease, a disease is just spreading across the country and then we're all kind of silent about it until it's too late and there's no vaccine. There's yeah. just nothing to yeah, fix that's, it. Yeah, that's why he was so excited to come on the show, you know, to be able to talk about it and get, get more information out there. And then when does your film come out too? Uh, my film will come out in the fall. It's not, we haven't announced a release date yet, but Samuel Goldwyn's the one that's putting it out. Uh, Samuel Goldwyn Company. So it'll get a theatrical release and it'll get a, you know, a big digital release. So we're excited about that. Well, let me know when that happens and I'd be happy to tweet about it and let everybody absolutely. know about it and put it up on Facebook and what yeah, have you. Yeah, it's absolutely. Just, 
Whew, God damn. So do you do these yourself? Is this like your own project? Do you storyboard them out? You like you? Yeah, it's a little crazy. Um, so I did bigger, stronger. You know, I went to USC film school when I was trying to make films for years. And we all struggle trying to like, you know, make it, you know, in, in these different endeavors, whether it be acting or filmmaking or anything. So uh, I was struggling for years, writing a bunch of scripts, getting really close. You know how it is. You know, you're really close to getting something made. And you know, finally, after a while, like nothing was happening. And I said, if anything in life is going to happen for me, I need to make it happen. I can't be sitting here waiting for somebody to go, you know, what? I really like your script. I'm going to make it or blah, 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 blah. So long story short, uh, Bigger, Stronger, Faster was uh, the brainchild of, of me and my partners, Alex Bono and Tamsin Bono. They were um, a couple that... Uh, you know, had experience with documentaries and stuff like that. And just through conversations with them, we we're like, fuck it, let's go make this on our own. So we raised all the money. We went out and we made it on our own. Uh, the second film I did uh, was called Trophy Kids. I did that with uh, Peter Berg, was the executive producer of that. And that was uh, a film that because of Bigger, Stronger, Faster, Pete's like, hey, I want to work with you. So we did a movie about crazy sports parents that ended up on uh, HBO. And that'll be actually be available on demand uh, November 17th. It'll be coming out um on demand everywhere but if you have hbo go you can watch uh, trophy kids it's called trophy kids uh the extended version is the one we actually did uh pete berg used it as a part of his show called state of play um so that you know it ended up serving like two purposes we got distribution for a movie we thought was really cool and uh he got a pilot for for his tv show so that's available on hbo go now yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Trophy so Kids is basically a, it's it's so fucking weird. We just came here and we have this tennis mom that's in uh that's in Trophy Kids and she's like this really like uh godly, you know, Jesus freak. Uh and we just saw her like at the restaurant. We just ate that before when we came here. I haven't seen her in like 2 years since we did the movie. But yeah, that huh. that film's really interesting because parents nowadays are really putting the pressure on their kids to succeed. Well, I think they always have, but now there's so much money involved in sports. Yeah, it's getting scary. Kids like investments. Oh, and the yeah. kids, the kids aren't any good. You know, bottom line is like, if a kid's good, they're going to make it. You know what I mean? Like, the, no amount of uh, investing in their uh, quarterback skills is going to, you know, it'll help some kids get maybe over that hump, but they're not going to beat John Jones. Yeah, in reality, John yeah. Jones is going to be John Jones coming out of the womb. Yeah. You know, killing you. You know, that's. Yeah, it's the, the thing about the trophy kids or the thing about parents that are really into that that's always disturbing is it seems like they're trying to live their lives, their failures through the kid. Yeah. Like they want to sort of reimagine their own life and and have some success through through the kid's work. I have a basketball dad who's like, you know, he'll say, I say, do you think you're living vicariously through your son? He's like, not vicariously, man, directly. I'm in every shot, in each move, in each go, and that's why the referees make me want to pull my hair out, or in my case, make me pull their hair out. It's yeah. like, you're listening to this going, you're fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you're out of your mind, you know? And, and it's just normal behavior to these people. It's just everyday behavior. I said, how much did you spend on your son, uh, on your son's basketball career? And he, he goes, I said, I'd say two Lamborghinis easy. And who, who measures their wealth in Lamborghinis, first of all? Yeah, that's pretty fucking weird. With the, um, did you see this story on uh, Todd Marinovich? Yeah, absolutely. Mark and Todd Marinovich, which is another similar story, but yeah. to the extreme. It's a great movie that uh, ESPN did as part of, part of the 30 for 30, which I actually uh, pitched them that. Be, I pitched them that before they did it so that somebody else had pitched it like a guest writer on the same time mm. um, And they did a great job with it. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a very disturbing story, but it's also in, 
it's it, it really highlights the problem because here you got a guy who's like an all time great NFL strength and conditioning coach understands like the science of strength and conditioning and, and, and preparing someone for a sport almost better than anybody and he has a kid and he says you know what listen I got a fucking project now yeah. and turn this kid in and it worked but meanwhile yeah. the kid didn't want to do it and he became a heroin addict yeah and, he know. became an artist he's like I don't want to do it yeah and yeah. I think that's what happens when you push kids too much like a kid kind of has to find you know their how own talented, thing how talented Todd Marinovich is I, I've spoken with him several times he's actually like cool really super cool guy he told me he went and played an arena football league game and he was withdrawing from heroin so bad that he had shit his pants and he had thrown 10 touchdown passes with shit in his pants. Oh my God. <laughs> That's how fucking good he was. He's just like, it was just so easy for me. He's like, football's easy, man. It's just yeah. like, it's just like numbers. He you know? was boom, unbelievable. Boom, boom. Yeah. He won the Heisman Trophy, didn't he? No, he was, he was close? not up for it, I think. You know? oh, okay. His dad is a fucking freak, man. His dad yeah. did an amazing job with BJ Penn, too. Yeah, and his, his dad's yeah. a freak, man. His dad, uh, they think they've like made amends with all that and stuff. It's just hard to do it to your own kid. You can mm -hmm. do it to somebody else's kid, make him a fucking machine. But you're not the well, parent. You, you also know? don't want know what your kid wants. I yeah. think, like, at a young age, I think Todd Marinovich said, I want to be in the NFL, but what kid doesn't say that, you know? Right. Well, not only that, what kid doesn't change his mind when he becomes 16 or 18? There's or... a certain side of it, too, though. Look at the dad. You know, uh, I was influenced heavily by my older brother. I wanted to be, I wanted to be in, like, you know, I wanted to be in, like, theater, drama. I wanted to do these other, you know, things that considered, like, oh, you're a pansy. What are you? <laughs> you know? And and so those things through the culture I grew up in was, like, you're not tough if you do those Everything things. Everything we did when we were kids and was so considered it was, to be gay. Yeah. Yeah, it was considered <laughs> that's gay. gay. Like, that's Soccer's fucking, gay. Yeah, that's gay. So when, Soccer's when gay. I wanted yeah. to, like, like make, what? you know, when I had, like, a passion to, like, make films and do that stuff, it was sort of hard to tell everybody, like, hey, man, I'm not really, I don't really care that much about lifting anymore. I want to go this way, you know, or whatever. It's That, that stuff's weird, you know? Well, Bigger, Stronger, Faster is available. It's been available for a long time. Um, but Trophy Kids available right now on HBO Go. And when is this new one coming out? It should be out in like the late fall. We don't have a release date. Late yet. fall, Prescription Thugs. When I'll, I'll help you promote it. I'll, I'll absolutely talk Thank about you. it on Twitter. And you can get a hold of Mark, Mark Smelly Bell, <laughs> on uh, Instagram on, and Twitter. On Twitter and Instagram. And Big Strong Fast is Chris's uh, Chris's handle. Well, do you have an Instagram too? Yeah, at Big Strong Fast. Big Strong Fast on yeah. Instagram as well. Even though I'm not none of them anymore. You're not I Big Strong Fast. <laughs> no, no. I shaved my balls for this interview, so I appreciate it. I'm glad you did that. Yeah, I, I, I shaved mine last night. Oh, good. Awesome. It's a nice feeling. All right, to know that someone else in the room <laughs> shares <laughs> prepped my shorn ball. <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys. It was a fun conversation. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. And very enlightening and terrifying in a lot of ways, too. Sure. Thank you. Thank All you. Right. See you guys tomorrow. Bye bye. Oh, man.